And welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I am John. I am Steve. And uh, me introing the episode, you know what that means. My pick this week. And or a usual episode, if you're going by our history. Right, because this is a new trick. A sometimes new... we have a guest and you usually I'll still still intro, yeah. Sometimes it's it's going to be a listener pick, and, and you'll usually still Actually, do the Actually, that's not true. The last listener pick, I was pretty sure Steve introed. Because well, you read something from Jose. And yeah, you I think it was it that you take the guests, I take the listeners, or yeah. some arbitrary thing like that. Yeah. I'm just awesome. I don't need I don't need any more screen time. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. the reason. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Sure. Well, that's the reason. All right. <clears throat> um, if you tuned in last week, then you already know what we're doing. But for those who are joining us for the first time today, um, this week's album is kind of a throwback for me. Um, from In the early 2000s, I was very into alt-rock. I mean, I was in all, into alt-rock since the 90s, but... It evolved through the 90s into the 2000s and kind of took a different shape. A lot of emo, punk rock, or pop rock bands kind of all blended into alternative quite a bit. Um, And there was a lot of overlap. And one of the bands that was most known for that was, of course, Taking Back Sunday. Um, I've been listening to them. I got into them with their third album, Louder Now. But then I went back and listened to the previous two records. And then I discovered that I liked their sound on Louder Now best and have enjoyed it since. Their first two records do have a distinctly more kind of... Were they louder then? That's the question. Yes, actually. Yes, they got louder. Okay. Actually, yes. No, Are they louder. still louder now? It was appropriate. Is that their next album? No. They're not still louder now. Still louder as were? Actually... As hence? Bringing up the title of that, that <laughs> album, there was a big shift in their music. It was more stripped down with the first two records. You know, kind of more garage, kind of more, you know, early indie kind of sound. You know, very independent, very kind of raw. But they got a little more polished with Louder Now, and they also kind of fleshed it out a bit. And I think the name suited it. Um, one of my favorite tracks by Taking Back Sunday is called Error Operator, which I played a little bit for the guys before we started. Um, was kind of the example of why I like that album because it kind of had this even flow of heavy in-your-face verses into kind of more melodic, smoother choruses. And they do that a lot. And it's one of the things I also really liked about this band is something that came up back when we did Blue October uh, Sway. Episode 59. And it was that they're a so band. Happy I know that. <laughs> they're a band that I'm kind of more emotionally attached to. Like Blue October was one of those bands that, and we discussed this at length, that I rated them more highly because even though the music, some of it did fall into the cliches of rock and pop rock, mm. there was an emotional connection with the lead singer and the content that couldn't be denied, and I latched on to that. I think I did the same sort of thing when Weezer showed up right. a few other times. All American Rejects was another one that, yeah. And, oh. and so Taking Back Sunday is one of those bands for me because even though musically they can sound like a lot of the other stuff that's out there, vocally they are very different. Both Adam who's been the singer for a very long time, and then John, who is an old second singer who returned for this record, um, who I believe was on the first two records, or at least the first record. Um, They have a dynamic, both when harmonizing together or alternating, that you don't hear in a lot of other bands and that I've always really latched onto as having this kind of raw emotion and passion that you just don't really hear in other vocalists. Yeah, I I can pick up on that. I can also pick up on the fact that they pay a lot of attention to the overall arc of the of the album uh, based on what I have heard of some previous albums. Now I'll be blunt, uh, as we talked about back recently in the case of Wilco and secondhand bands where we were all on the same page and that we didn't know Wilco directly but we knew them through other people. Well you seem to have a lot more familiarity with Taking Back Sunday than I have with Taking Back Sunday. But they are a secondhand band for me. There are a lot of other people that have just played 
taking back Sunday at me, <laughs> just <laughs> arbitrarily, ever since high school, it seems. And uh, there were things I liked about them, and there were things that I don't, but I'm, that's why I'm glad to go into it in thorough today, because now I can actually dissect which is which. Actually, I believe uh, Matt played them at me a few times. At you. Just, yes, yeah. he definitely Unsolicited, sure. one uh, may say. Yeah, a few times when, when we were hanging out. Well, my it. car, my rules. If you're riding with me, it's my music. This is why so, I drive everywhere. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, that's a good point you bring up, Steve. Uh, typically, Taking Back Sunday, because of their kind of raw emotionale in a lot of the tracks, they also tend to structure the narrative of an album, or at least the arc of an album. Well, I'm not sure if you dropped the word, but would you consider them emo by any chance? Mm, sort of. <laughs> it's tough. Like, The Used, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the band The Used, but they also were kind of considered emo. Yeah, they're in the most subtle of ways. You know, there's a lot of like... screaming and stuff. I mean, the thing I think that takes Taking Back Sunday out of the emo kind of genre and subgenres with it is that they're not screamo. They don't, they scream, but it's not like screeching screaming. It's kind of more of a yelling, kind of a passionate yelling. Like, we've talked about in, in other bands, we've reviewed some of the metal bands, like, when they're just growling and or singing really low, we liked yeah. it, but when they were just screaming at the top of their lungs, we couldn't really understand Well, I that. don't actually agree with that assessment. I don't think they're emo. I yeah. think I was provoking you. <laughs> well, it's they also seem to draw from a lot of the areas that alternative rock drew from in mm-hmm. its heyday, which was a little bit of punk and a little bit of classic rock and a and little bit of And then in the end, grunge. I think they just became an indie band. An indie yeah. rock band that, you know, they go by their own rules, I think, at the end of the day, and it's not really going to be a rule from track to track as far as... An, a listener can discern. Yeah, I think that also alt-rock, as I loved it in the 90s, didn't stay that way. A lot of those bands that I considered alt-rock in the 90s kind of just became pop-rock later on. Like It was hard to look back, I think, in the mid-2000s at Taking Back Sunday and consider them alt-rock, but I can see the influence from a yeah. 90s standpoint. I, uh, Absolutely. And speaking of alt-rock, I mean, alt-rock became pop-rock. I mean, More or less. Really, they're almost yeah. indistinguishable. Right, but that's, that's because... That's late, late 2000s. That's yeah. because alt-rock became something else. Because yeah. alt-rock is just alternative rock. It's the alternative to what's considered mainstream rock. Less which, meaning today than at any other time in the past. Right. Well, <laughs> it's important to get into because specifically this album really does seem to harken back to alt-rock, especially when you start with Death Wolf, track one. Death Wolf. Um, if I may wax eloquence on that opening electronic drone. Uh, I know it seems like a kind of a minor point to, to dissect, but this is this is interesting for me because of the effect it had. It's this opening like computer machine sound, just the low end frequency and this little bit of oscillation. It affected me on a really, really weird level, especially as far as the first 20 seconds goes, because it reminded me of the background hum in the end of Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. when Luke is fighting Vader in Cloud city. Specifically, though, in that battle, the lapses in the battle when Vader disappears and Luke's just in the dark corridor by himself kind of paranoid and Vader is somewhere nearby stalking him, waiting to see what he'll do. Well, during those sequences, you can actually hear this machinery in the background, just making that distinctive Star Wars tech electric hum. Yeah, well, yeah. Even, no, even lower, just, just in the background <laughs> over relatively no music, and it is one of my favorite tones, my favorite moments in the entire Star Wars canon. And I realize it's a little bit of a far-fetched illusion, but if we're being honest about what certain sounds actually do to us, then it has to be said. I thought it was a theremin. Well, that's, that's, that's what I mean. That's, that's all I heard. It, the principle is the same. I didn't hear Star Wars. That was Wars. the first ever electronic instrument to be <laughs> able to do that thing. It's the first ever electronic instrument, period, in fact, is the theremin. So. It's, it's the drone that goes into that 
almost organ work. That is synth for sure. It is different. It is a little bit out there, especially the way the vocals sort of echo on top of everything yeah. else. And again, it's a nice sound. It doesn't it, stay there though. No, it's, again, it's all twenty seconds of material here, and then after twenty seconds, we do get music, which is cool, I guess. Uh, sort of a post-rock guitar drone. So it blends really. Like, it, it's not the beginning of a full-fledged song yet. It's still kind of intro material, but it's just like this post-rocky guitar drone, not like heavy rock and roll yet, alongside some chanting vocals in the background. But there is a tasteful crescendo all the way up to the first minute mark. It's not doing anything too special, but the guitar is doing something that is nice. It's sort of it's abdicating control at the end of its phrases, and I like the way it's doing this. It's not kowtowing to anything specific as far as the chords are concerned. It's all dreamy. It's yeah. still kind of in the same basic tone as the opening electronic drone, but... Then the vocals in the background, they kind of add to the dreamlike quality of this by having somewhat of an abstract nature about them. Nobody, nobody will, nobody will know. And that's all it says. And they're kind of spaced out, not syllable. Nobody will know. It's, it's easy to, to kind of imagine that this would be like the whole song, or at least more than maybe the first minute. Not that that's not, you know, a, a decent amount of material. But it changes quite suddenly at the minute mark. Suddenly it is rock and roll. And no, and, yeah. no, more, no more post-rock, no more ambient stuff. Just Alternative has shown up yeah. very heavily here. The drums really bring it up a notch. They really are showcasing... A, uh, not the most intricate work, but a lot of just randomness built into its very steady rhythm. I like this. I like the kind of emotion that it just builds up. It's getting me revved and ready to go. The guitar, though, the guitar is very abrupt when it enters, and that's really where the whole song kind that's of where it starts. That's where it's time to a ask, like, did that first minute really do anything to set up this track for you, in a way? Because, did, like, did, but, it, did it mesh? Yeah, it does have one element element and it's that guitar is still kind of uh, it's still kind of losing that control it's still kind of playing around a little bit especially on the second and third chord of a lot of the phrases it, the strumming is still not adhering heavily towards the rhythm it's still not being completely in line with everything else it's still mm. degrading a little bit here and it, there it, that it I was, like it was tight enough that I don't think I could really equate it in principle to anything that existed in the first minute um, so to me that, that was a bit of a, a, a striking shift if it works for you sure but for me it didn't really like set up this song in terms of tone or texture, I feel like it was setting up a very different song. But instrumentally, the most distinctive features of this post-minute era is the drum accents on the upbeat, which is very par for punk, so they're borrowing from that whole thing, but then the, the kind of flat guitar tone is something that I thought was kind of nice. And I don't mean like tonally flat, but mixing-wise flat. It sounded kind of harsh, kind of bare against the whole. It just sets up this sort of miserable energy to the track, if that makes sense. Major, minor one, major six. Minor one, major six. But it wasn't terribly complex. The bass is just straight eighth notes and that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that the track as a whole, I mean, isn't doing anything completely outside the box for what I would expect from Taking Back Sunday. I think I would only argue that the first minute isn't as... You're not necessarily saying it's pointless, but I know you're kind of battling with, like, what was the point of it. Not that it's it has no point, but that you're grasping with what it was. Yeah. And I think, for me, I feel like it was setting up this song in the sense that Taking Back Sunday is a big fan of kind of alluding to an overall album's kind of ambiance in the first minute and then breaking away and maybe returning to it later. And we do come back to it later, 
in the song, and we'll get to that. But there is a connecting bit towards the tail end of the track. The flat bits of the guitar that you were speaking Just of. Just the, that, yeah, the that mixing felt, of it. The mixing, I think, is what I... Th- connect most to that first minute that just the way it feels the persona is presenting i think is still within yeah, there was line. nothing flat about the first minute it was reverb heavy to me I'm, I'm talking about the feel and the way it was contrasting with everything else that was going on with the vocals that were going on it wasn't quite meshing properly quote unquote <laughs> and i think that you both find threads i'll I, I tell you what i'll give it this maybe the miserable <laughs> energy that i felt that was present even in what is generally a pretty energetic track after the first minute maybe i could equate that a little bit just the little air of misery i could bring that from the beginning into the rest of the song so let's let's leave the first minute in the dust now and let's push ahead because th- so far i feel this very much like we, we said in the beginning between indie rock and punk and i'll give it this it almost sounds at times like old killers even vocally mm-hmm. to me it sounds like old killers but i know that these guys have probably been around even longer than the killers Correct. right so the killers in many ways were just like a temporary fad no one seems even to talk about the killers anymore even though they put out a couple of great I, albums I, but i, I I'm did, slowly i talked about them once yeah, on you, the website. You yeah, definitely that was a different mention them more than any other. But I'm slowly gathering that Taking Back Sunday as a band has been way more consistent, in fact, than the Killers ever were. Yes. So there is definitely a decent hook here. They're very good at that. And the the vocals in the interludes here, they do connect the vocals back to the intro. But once again, not the tone here. They've replaced that with a bit of organ work uh, instead of the the post-rocky thing in the beginning. Uh, what I got, though, out of the chorus was not the best thing in the world. I liked the verses. Yeah, right. I liked what the music the was chorus. doing in the verses because it was a little bit different. But the choruses were very chorusy. They felt like they were going through very predictable builds. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> and the post-chorus in particular, what happened immediately after... You got this mini guitar solo idea, which felt like it wasn't adding a whole lot to what was going on. It wasn't doing much to bridge from chorus back to verse. It was just there. I don't know if it was really adding anything to the song itself. I mean, for me, the choruses in a Taking Back Sunday song are more about the... Not necessarily the specific lyrics, but the vocal presentation. Adam Lazara, as the lead singer, has always had this kind of tone and rawness that I've always related to and identified with. As someone who also has delusions that he can sing, but I'm not convinced that I actually can, uh, (laughs) though I'm not properly trained. I like a singer who breaks and who has a raw kind of emotional tone and and emphasis. I get that a little more later in the album, though. In the first track, it was hard to find something especially distinctive to separate it from the pack. But there are some things that do separate this track from the pack as we push ahead, because around two minutes and, like, 50 seconds here, we enter kind of a strange bridge. Mm -hmm. This weird, like... One times two times three times four, that's the lyrics here. All on this like strange, raspy, creepy vocal style. Yeah. And which gets raspier as it goes on. Right. And what's interesting is the vocals and the drums come in together here. And then it's followed by the bass, independently. Which I like in. being very steady. In this case, is the it, steady bass is actually a positive. And yeah. then it's followed by the guitar after that. It's and an it, interesting sequence. Yeah. Yeah, it was more like the drums are the first thing you notice. And they are a lot more filled out, flushed out than any other part yeah. of the song yet. So I thought they were awesome. And then the vocals, you have that raspy quality. And then the bass, which, there's a, it's a little repetitive, but there's almost like a ghoulish nature to the raspy vocals that make it maybe more intense than the music would simply make it by itself. Uh, but I also like that it didn't just swing right back from the bridge 
to the chorus immediately, as many bridges do. Instead, we have kind of a return of the opening hook, around 3 minutes 23 seconds. It softens that, that, a lot. That I nobody, really enjoy it. Nobody yeah. will, nobody will know that's that those strange abstract lyrics come back. Which links it to the intro, because Which those lyri- the lyrics and the tones were very similar well, to the remember, intro. Well, remember, there's a difference between linking uh, intro and interlude. See, they even start with the same letter, <laughs> right? But there's a difference between connecting them together, as they often do in tracks, and then really connecting them to the content. No, I That's, know. It's a, it's a very minor point. It's not I like know. a heavy critique or anything. Sure. But, but what is interesting, and I think where we're going to get some differences in critiques here, so at this point, after we get those... those um, light melodic singing and those bright tones it goes from there right back into the chorus return to form heavy guitar to finish out the track and i didn't mind this return though i can see why people might for me personally as someone who knows kind of how taking back sunday kind of goes from verse to chorus and then to bridges and in back into courses a return to chorus is pretty popular for them because it emphasizes that last bit of emotion as they launch back into something they're really passionate about and then close out. But, and here's where the big but is, I thought we had a great outro with that bridge already. If it had been the finale of the track, it would have been a really a nice turn of, is it positive, is it negative? It would leave me in a nice emotional area. I really don't know how to take the rest of the album right away. It's not setting me up for high energy or anything like that. It's setting me up for a nice gray area, content-wise. I'm with John on this because the thing is, I'm not against like just swinging back to choruses. Sometimes you just need that one last reprise. Not that we were me and John were especially into the first chorus, but okay, whatever. That's not the point. The point is they did something especially brilliant here. It's the manner in which they ended that little interlude. You have the ringing out of the opening vocals and the, the post-rocky electric guitar, which just holds that final chord and it rings so beautifully just into nothing that there was a moment there where I'm just like holding my breath. It, it, it would have been a really tasteful spot to end. I'm not going to tell them how to do their job, but I could have done without the little last, you know, one reprise of a thing that I wasn't initially into. But if you're into it, then sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> that's what, what I'm this comes down to. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to, like, like Steve said, I'm not going to fault them for going back to chorus. I don't think it was the necessary move for this track. I'm just saying, have to do it again. boy, would it have affected me if they walked out on that high note. Okay, I mean, that's fair. I don't... It's funny. I don't disagree because it's a good point, but I don't agree because I did enjoy the way it ended. It's the whole thing was the chorus wasn't enough to get me singing along. And I think one last reprisal of something I was, you know, raring to sing along to would have been great because I would have been like, all right, one more time. Let's get this emotional outlet out let's 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 go along and, and sing along and have that camaraderie again i wasn't getting the camaraderie in the first two well, courses speaking so an, a final rendition wasn't going to do it for me all right fair enough but speaking of the emotional outlet material i mean we do have lyrics uh we haven't had lyrics recently in several of our <laughs> last few weeks uh, albums but we do have lyrics here so it, we might as well say a couple of words about exactly what kind of message they want to hammer home the chorus here is, I thought I had enough, but now I'm not sure. I had a little bit, and now I want some more. So that's what we got earlier, and that's what we get at the end. We do attack on a couple little extra lines there. Lost all that blood, now we're locking the door. Nobody will know, nobody will know. So we actually kind of connect the that little opening hook 
thing back and tie it into the chorus. So we do get some lyrical connectivity, but it really doesn't make sense if you don't read a little bit of the, the, uh, the verse itself. I felt like a giant when I sat beside you. You're little, but you ain't small. And from the comfort of that couch in the sad part of Brooklyn, oh, the train took forever, so most nights we just stay in. With our head in the clouds and our feet on the floor, I had a little bit, and now I want some more. There's a little preview to the chorus line. With our hands to ourselves, triple locking the door, nobody will know, nobody will know. So we already kind of had that even earlier. We had the, the lyrical connectivity, even though I didn't see the musical connectivity. But, um, I don't know, what do you take from these lyrics so far? I mean, the thing about their lyrics in particular, but especially in this song, there's not necessarily always a, a clear narrative. There's always this kind of abstract narrative, like, this could be romantic, it could be just com camaraderie. Like, I'm not really, there's no explicit, it's not explicit. I thought I had enough, maybe it's booze. <laughs> I mean, it, it honestly could really be anything. And that's something that Taking Back Sunday, though it can be annoying to some people, I always thought they did really well, is they have a way of making their lyrics just abstract enough that you can kind of imprint on them pretty easily. And I think that's a, a pretty good skill. I find more often with these bands, though, that's usually something we say when we don't know the full story. And that very often there was something in mind that may not be explicit, or may not be explicit yet. It's track one. Right. I mean, I think that's a big part of it, too, is here's this kind of a, a vague scene setting. Well, it does go back to what you said earlier in that they like to set up their album with their first track. So they're yeah. setting up something, though the setting is starting to form. We just don't know who the characters are yet. All right, let's go a little bit further into the album. Track two, this is the title track, Tidal Wave. Uh, this is punk, and this well, is heavy punk. Well, well it's, it's punk in the drums. Yeah, the yeah. Drum, as soon as the drums start, which is what the track is introduced with, it is very fast-paced, very Ramones-style drum work. Yeah. But once the, guitars and, once the guitars and bass come in, we get more of a flogging Molly kind of vibe, especially Irish once, rock, yeah. Especially once Adam starts singing, because it's kind of this uh, kind of sing-songy inflection he has. The way he kind of rocks the words feels very much like what the lead singer Flogging Molly often does, um, and it has kind of this storyteller, uh, passionate exposition vibe to it, and I think. All of these things together make for a good headbanger. It makes for a good kind of rock track. Well, this yeah. has got the same energy that the last track had, but this time there's nothing, like I said... There was no leader. There's no, there's no miserable in the distance. There's no miserable element. This just feels like a happy punk track to rock out to. It's almost relentless in yeah. how powerful it is. And it also is pretty tight. Like, the song isn't very long, and it, it moves at a pretty steady pace. We don't really break for anything here. Even the lyrical choice in the chorus, like, is playing up the punk really heavily. The way the guitar steps in to really complement that, the way the phrases are designed, you can beg, you can plead, you can try, you can pray, nothing's gonna save you from the tidal wave. Like, just the way that rolls off the tongue, the yeah. way that pacing is designed, is... Very punk. I mean, even very, the, very rock-oriented punk right there. Even the way you, uh, which is, I believe, how he he says it also, the way you said the chorus. Nothing's going to save you from the tidal wave. Well, it yeah. rolls like a wave. Like, it crashes in on itself. It kind of... It's working with the imagery involved, yeah. but it's also really working with the way punk works. Well, and also, we talk a lot about how we're not, you know, me and John haven't been happy with the punk as of late. Steve really doesn't like punk at all. But that yeah. said... 
this is the kind of punk that I like. Like I always like Flogging Molly, even if they don't break from form and do the same thing on every every CD, I kind of like their energy. And so this being reminiscent of some of the higher echelon of punk, your Flogging Mollies, your Ramones, well, and all that kind of stuff. Energy is always the thing that it comes back to with me. Yeah. Like I guess if a track has enough energy, then no, there's there's really no like sweeping like, ah, punk, forget it, <laughs> don't bring that on the Crash Quartz podcast. There does seem to be this like critique uh, that persists with me where we get things that whether they're in the punk genre or whether they lean toward punk then I know I tend to be more critical than many other tracks only because I feel that there is a slight sameness there I feel a general track in this style has been done again and again and again but the energy it, it has a purpose and I understand that in most cases it fulfills that purpose yeah. if you want to rock out to something if you want to get in a better mood then this is this is great but most of my analyses I admit don't come down to these binaries but this has one audience you know there's no crossover appeal here I don't think well there's a little bit of that because the Irish idea the the flogging mollies yeah. maybe a little bit of dropkick murphys that's what I heard right away though flogging is definitely more accurate the the vocal style of the verses do make a little bit of a connection to that they do sort of still harken back to their I guess safety zone because they're, they're stepping out here this is different yeah. for them I just feel at the end of the day that they're stepping out of their safety zone into the punk safety zone. Into, <laughs> into everyone else's safety zone. Well, somebody yeah. else's. Maybe but, not, but every, no, not everybody does this. But that's a fair point, right, because they're stepping out of their safety zone. In other words, you're not judging them within the confines of their material, and we actually try not to do that, because if you judge someone against themselves, well, then you kind of are creating this very, very narrow universe. But if you judge it against the world, then you're at least getting a better look at you know, how they're stacking up next to other artists and then we can all try to just push art forward, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I guess that's I guess that's a thing. It's a little bit irrelevant to compare it within their own discography. But I understand why it's applicable to people that might be like, oh, well, they've never seen that side of Taking Back Sunday. It at least shows diversity. They're able to. But I just know that I can get this in other places. And I know that many arguments that we've had with other bands have used that as a reason. Like, I can get this somewhere else. Why would I want them to do that? Well, I think for me, the reason I'd want them to do this is because... No one else is going to have Adam Lazar's vocals. And still, I latch on to his tone, his inflection, his imperfections. And I think that's the difference for me. Now, I'll admit, though, here, he is more sing-songy. He's more kind of polished here because the track called for it. Especially when they're working in harmony. Uh, verse 3, uh, when Adam and John are working together, mm -hmm. it's it's flowing very well. And by itself, the vocals sound really, really good. But there's nothing that's poking them forward as something different. Sure. It just sounds like a harmony, a well-designed harmony, but a harmony nonetheless. It's nothing identifiable as unique. Well, I think for me what it is is that I'm also, as a longtime fan of theirs, excited that John's back because John was one of okay. the original singers to sing with Adam, and then he left for a while, and now he's back. And so I think also the things that are like talking about returning to form and calling home and all that stuff that comes up throughout this record, I think is obviously an homage to that and acknowledging this return to an original form of the band. Um, I, I will agree that if it, this song had gone on longer, 
it would be a little too much. But I feel like... And, if, the, it, and if the type of song had comprised a greater chunk of the record, it right. would have been a little too but much. But being isolated, being the second track, being where it is, because they're really good with track placement. I no, feel they like are. their flow of albums tend to be pretty good and pretty solid. And so I liked where this was. I enjoyed it. Honestly, a lot of the punk that we've gotten on this show has not really stood up, or at least we haven't walked around, away saying we enjoyed it. Whereas here, I did enjoy the track. And ultimately, from punk... That's kind of all I want most of the time from punk is to at least have enjoyed it for it not to be grating, not to be elongated and repetitive. And this wasn't. This was a good fill for the moment. It was tight. And then we moved on. I agree with that completely. So let us move on to track three. You can't look back. Um, this one starts off a little slower. We're getting kind of the mellower side of Taking Back Sunday, which is not unfamiliar to Taking Back Sunday's fan. You know, it uh, has an acoustic guitar to start, which is a nice change, too, because we'd had most been inundated with the electric guitars up until this point. So I, it's a nice little change. I enjoyed the, the tone of the guitars here. It was a little, again, 90s alt, a, little, a bit of a on the lower register, uh, kind of a bit grungy to me, or sure, it felt I like it could have been the background to a grunge track had it been, but it's not. <laughs> so, I, well, I would agree that, like, the slower grunge tracks that, like, Alice in Chains and Nirvana were known for that they did a lot, like, it had that kind of a similar tone. I absolutely right. hear that. Um, but I also really started to enjoy their vocals a little more here, because because the meter of the vocals is interesting. Um, and you know, it's almost funny to look back at this kind of thing because it, today, looking back on it, I say, oh, well, this has almost like a little bit of a hip-hop kick to it. Something in the way he ends his phrases and just leaves them hanging. But then when he's in the midst of a phrase, he just flows through it very seamlessly, very smooth. But then, obviously, you look back and it's like, well, rock had already kind of had that style. It's just that today we sort of equate that kind of uh, that meter, that wordsmithing um, to hip-hop. But yeah. anyway, it still starts with the, the whole upbeat thing. It's got that in common with punk it's a it's a great intro though and then at 40 seconds the bass tone here starts to really intrigue me this crisp metallic sound i i know it goes back to the same old word that we overuse uh but that maybe i didn't expect to use based on the first two tracks and that's texture yeah. in this song they're considerably more aware of their different sides their different moods i don't have to say oh well this is the punk track this is the heavy rock track this it's not that simple at all mm -hmm. they make use of almost all the elements we've just heard but they kind of put it into a blender plus several more things. Yeah, I think that what's also really interesting is once the song really kicks into gear, we get this interesting blend of, of electric guitar tones and acoustic guitar tones. And in the past, we've had that blend before, but there's something about the mixing here that, and what I like is this, you get a sense of this from the vocals too sometimes when John and... Adam are singing together. The guitars are doing this here too. You get this sense of if you focus on one, you can hear them clearly and ignore the other mm -hmm. and vice versa. But if you focus intently on both, you can hear the blend and it's really kind of masterfully mixed. Well, one of the things I really enjoy about this is that the pre-chorus and the chorus itself, from what the verse does, and it, it really... At, at, at one moment, I feel like it's alternative rock to a T. Mm -hmm. At the other time, when the pre-chorus steps in, it starts to break away a bit. And the chorus, the chorus actually gets high and gets energized, but not really, like, preachy the way choruses can get in this sort of style. It doesn't really try to reach out and grip me and make me sing along. Instead, it does a lot to hearken to what the vocals are doing, to what the motion the vocals are trying to portray. And I like that, yeah, we get high, we get energized, but it doesn't go too far. 
because the vocals don't want to speak to me. They're speaking to someone else. The lyrics that we're getting, cut your wrist and come and get you some. Only works if you don't look down. Bought the ticket, now you're on the track. You can keep it, but you can't look back. I don't know what I was looking for, and come to think I wasn't looking at all. I'm not the same man, not since you came in. I'm going to get you if it takes me all night long. I actually these, these words are not, you know, no, something they're not for us. They're for not, somebody else. I exactly. get it. Exactly. And but now we're that, actually getting to your previous point. I actually thought that was easy to sing along to. That last line, "I'm going to get you if it takes me all night long." That and the emphasis there. This is starting to get that's into something the one that is point of the reaching chorus out where to me they're melodically. repeating it though. Yeah. Everything else, which is pre-chorus and chorus, it's it's. It's speaking about events between two people. We're actually getting the characters that we weren't getting in the previous tracks. They're showing up and they're starting to take form in front of us. Now well, we had that as we started to say in track one, but you know, it was just a little bit more vague. He's talking about in four in the morning, you'd ask how I was doing, like I didn't know where I was, the good times we met with such reckless abandon. It's always better to have, always better to have had. These are like, but the, you don't know anything about these two people these yet. These are vagaries. Have, yeah. But here, all right, he's... He's a man out to get her. That's basically what he wants at the end of the day. Lines like, cut your wrist and come and get you some. Yeah. Like, this, these are some very specific references that are coming up. Right. This is actual people as opposed to just the idea of two individuals interacting. These are these are specifics. Well, he has some, like, end-of-the-world analogies as far as, like, his his framing of their relationship. You know, remember in the beginning, the, fir the first track offered uh, the allusion to, like, blood at the door yeah. or something like that, which in many ways it seems like he's using that to really just talk about, like, people who parted ways or something like that right. or well, who had some I, sort of problem along the line. That's really, it's metaphorical blood. Well, it's the idea that also a relationship that's important to you is more high stakes than someone on the yeah. outside looking in might think. Exactly. But in, in this case, he goes straight to cut your wrist. But again, he's using it metaphorically. He just goes for the top shelf of the metaphors. Right. Uh, well, making it as kind of harsh and kind of in your face as possible. Yeah. And then the bridge. The bridge actually has a curious turn of phrase Start running in. Started running in. You cut your wrist, you let me in. Like that combination. You cut your wrist, you let well, me in. Well, this idea of opening a vein is often yeah. referred to as like when you're you're being very open with someone or emotional. And this this idea of she's opening a vein and letting him into well, it. Letting but, you letting him into your bloodstream. Right, is right. Pretty yeah. intimate. But the previous idea of self-harm gets flipped on its head, and I actually like this. To use the same phrase work, but to frame it just slightly different so that it, it loses its edge. Pardon the pun that's kind of going on right here. It loses the edge and the kind of darker nature to it. Right. And actually becomes sort of endearing that well, you were yeah. that open. Like it's still a little bit I don't tough, know if endearing is the right word, but yeah, for sure not, vulnerable. There and, you go, and, vulnerable. Which, which is important also in this kind of a situation. I think what's also interesting to note at this point is instrumentally, once we get the, these lyrics right after this, we get probably some of the best work that the acoustic and electric guitar does. Because, really mellow. Well, because when they play together, the guitar, the electric guitar is fiddling as if it were kind of like a solo, kind of just yeah. pluckering along, but doing some fun solo playful stuff. But the 
acoustic is just kind of mixing and filling in the gaps of the solo work, and I really like the way they blend together. And then after that, we get a second chorus, but then it's back to the thing that we got in the beginning. It goes back to that guitar that guitar tone in the beginning. This is the sort mm -hmm. of grungy 90s alternative thing, right? And still, even after that, they're not backtracking, which is what I like about this track. They push forward at 3 minutes 18 seconds. They push forward into this outro thing that incorporates mm -hmm more of a build back to the chorus kind of feel, but yeah. the vocals are a little bit more chanting and also candid that they're closer to the mic and it builds and it builds and feels more of a more like a power strum version of the chorus. Yeah. And it, it, it felt different enough that I didn't really take it as a chorus, I took it more as an outro, even started to perceive it as like a secondary bridge if we even had a first. It, it felt like a natural build. As yeah. opposed to, let's go back to the chorus that we got earlier. This felt like instead they were just building up the energy that I kind of didn't want, but got anyway. At the end, having this energy sort of build up, build up, build up, it made the character feel like he was 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 building up that energy as opposed to, you know, making the chorus a nice energized reaching piece. This this actually touched me the way I wanted it well, to. Well, it's like he's got to get in the right zone in order to sort of work this out. Because he's in the thick of it, he says earlier on, but now I'm in it until the bitter end. You're going to do me, then you do me like that, right? And then all that other stuff. You can keep it, but you can't look back. You can keep it, and you, but you can't look back. So might as well, you know, make the best of it. Track four, Fences. Um, all right, this is a bit of a cheap comment, but the... The string arrangement in the beginning, obviously this has to be mentioned, it only lasts for about 15 seconds, maybe even less, but let's look at the big picture here. Apart from the fact that this is pretty, I both like it and I don't. Everyone knows I'm partial to strings in general, but who isn't honestly? Still, it's not for every genre, and I do grow a little weary of the kind of courtesy nod to it, especially for 15 second intervals, which we get in a lot of rock, a lot of indie rock that incorporate little bit string arrangements. But it has very little to do with the segment that followed, and that's more my problem with it, which begins more like the tender side of an 80s glam rock band. So that's more why I don't like it. But let's swing back to the reason why I do, again, apart from the fact that it's simply pretty. I'll give you this. If you pay attention uh, to how the meat of Fences really begins when you're in that sort of 80s glam rock tone. It's quite a bit more paced and actually feels like the setup to a story rather than just throwing you into the middle of one. Not just merely having an intro, but the verse feels like you're setting up the story, which kind of makes you want to set up the verse as well. And for that purpose, I think the string intro may have served to set the tone of the piece, if not the texture. Yeah, I think that even though they do at a 10,000 foot view look a little separated and can even be conceived as fleeting. I think ultimately when you look at the song as a whole, which we obviously haven't gone through the whole thing yet, but if you kind of look at the song as a complete piece, it does make sense I feel in the context. I mean, those strings do come back later and in moments, but it's, it's definitely not as apparent as it is in that intro. You know, it, it blends with, with the song later on. But after that intro, let's go into what we do get for the meat and potatoes of this track. Mm -hmm. We get heavy strum, we get steady drums, and we get a guitar that I'm so happy is being used this way. It's not a blanket guitar. It's not a rhythm guitar or anything like that. It's just interspersed notes, mm -hmm. interspersed ideas being played throughout the lyrical work, throughout the vocal work, that I think does a lot to connect the vocals to everything else that's going on and to do a 
great job on accenting what's being sung. Yeah, I love the rhythm here. I love the color here. It even appears within, like, almost feels like a pre-chorus segment that is, like, wedged between the verse, but we actually swing back to a second phrase of the verse, so it doesn't go quite into the chorus yet, but I really loved that, that, that sort of restart of the verse. And then the chorus... Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, the chorus is probably the only thing that I don't like about this track. It, yeah, me and too. Unfortunately, it's a big portion of the track because we swing back to it several times. I gotta be honest, it's just a generic country rock chorus to me. It's bright and it's uplifting in as much as the four chord progression gives you. Uh, but it's everything else that I love, so I feel tempted not to hammer home this point. But every single time the chorus hits you, it hits you like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh, oh it sucked the life out of this track to me in many ways. But the content of the lyrics and the chorus kind of do work with the brightness of it. Oh, okay. It's, it's doing that. It's actually stepping up from what the lyrics were doing in the verses. Because there's a little bit going on in these lyrics. I focused on the outline and I focused on the seams. I watched it come apart and I knew that it could have been me. I saw fences tied in razor wire, borders drawn in blood. And I love that imagery there. Going back to blood. Borders drawn in blood. I saw nothing but rain for days. Still, I wasn't ready for the flood. And now here's where the chorus steps in. Is there always enough strength for the next step? Is there always a way back to your regrets? I want to hear you say, it'll be okay. I want to hear you say, it's not too late. And that, you know, kind of hope. Mm-hmm. Great for the chorus work. Great yeah. for being paired with that nice, bright, uplifting chorus, but works against what the verses were starting to say, both yeah. musically and lyrically. I, I realize that, like, see, this is the thing. In life, you can have sudden shifts in tone like that because, well, we're temperamental people in general. Um, in music, though, a lot of times it feels very just kind of strange to shift the emotion like that. Especially when you're building something, it feels like it is, it's robbing you of some potential. But I would challenge you to think if you feel like it's not common to do that in music and it is kind of off-putting, doesn't well, that... Well, let me clarify. It's not a matter of simply shifting the emotion, but rather a, a, a case of doing it with some finesse than just kind of like shifting... Uh, Playing all your cards at once, shifting the instrumentation, shifting the the tone, shifting the vocal style. You know, it's you want to feel that there are some common threads here that bind a track together as a singular piece. And there was just something about this chorus that that allowed it to feel disconnected from the whole. Well, it sounds to me like the the vo- the the content of the track sounds schizophrenic, both instrumentally and uh, you know within the lyrics, but. Considering how he was kind of arguing even on himself and flipping the track in the previous narrative, doesn't that make sense? Especially considering dealing with love or or like or any kind of passionate emotion, there's complexities. And so this song kind of flipping on a dime and showing all its cards and seeming a little schizophrenic, doesn't that fit kind of where we're headed? Well, it comes down to this. If you feel that that is a logical, artistic, emotional defense, then do you at least follow through and feel the same thing when it hits back to the chorus? Um, Musically. uh, That's a complicated question. I guess I would say... We explore these complicated questions. No, 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 I know. Um, I think that for me, I do. But 
it's not necessarily easy to nail down, as is with a lot of experiences like this. And I think it's that's also not kind an easy why. thing to do. Right. Like you just described a very elaborate, you know, uh, master plan, with, yeah. which, if that indeed was the intention, then I feel it requires a bit more of an elaborate master, you know, transition into the segment that's going to give you that 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 secondary part of the story. Right. It's the it's one little hiccup that I'm seeing, and I think it might be the tense of the chorus or the choice of words in the chorus that I think don't quite mesh up with the overall feel. Because the chorus, bright, happy, kind of full of hope, kind of the opposite of what the verses are setting up. But it's the words, I want to hear you say, not I heard you say it'll be okay. Hmm. It, he's still desiring something, but the desire actually feels fulfilled with the music. And I think it's it's just not earned with these courses. It's just not really satisfactory to go from it was all happy in the end, which is what the music seems to be trying to say, while the words aren't quite meshing up. And there's uh, one final thing I want to say about the words. Okay. I, I like the words, especially the second verse. I would walk down that road while it crumbled into dust. I put my faith in a violent man. He was the only one that I could trust. He built the fences tied in razor wire borders drawn in blood. There was nothing but rain for days and days till no one was ready for the flood. See, the rest, that is, is, the same. Really the rest is the same in the beginning. It's just replaced the I with the he. And uh, it automatically ripping. ties together everything I was just talking about. But, so here, no, but, I want to have a John no, no, moment. Yeah. I get to have a John moment. I get, to, I get to pull a narrative out of my rear end. Oh. The idea that he shifts from I to he is almost a schizophrenic point of view. When you have split personality and the personality does something that you're not consciously doing. When you come back to the other personality, it's a separate person to you. It's not within yourself. And so I think that's kind of feeding into but that. But they use the same music. Like, those are both I the know, choruses. I know, I know. In which case, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and in the first person point of view, he is obviously an observer because it's. I watched, I knew, I focused on the outline, and I focused on the scenes. He mm. is the observer, but the he, the third person that gets introduced, is is actually being an active participant in something. And that's where I would say it's not a split personality. It is a third party that's going on right there. He built fences. Not I saw him build, build fences, but it is actually inferred in this case lyrically. The thing is, it's it's a little bit of column A, it's a little bit of column B, a little bit of it makes its way into the music, as we discussed about the beginning of the track and how we really like the verses and how we really like those pre-chorus things, and also about one other thing I didn't mention, following the chorus, we have this little, like, buffering sound as we go into the second verse, which kind of... It makes for a good restart, especially once we start shifting the, the, the tone of the, uh, or rather the subject matter from I to he. Um, it, it's a nice restart of the whole, because again, whenever we start off the verses, it is really, really gorgeous. But again, if you're talking about lyrical theme, then it, you're probably 100% right. It's probably there. It may have just simply been more of an arbitrary choice to to choose the, the type of chorus that they did, which I'm sure works for many people. just didn't happen to work for me and John. All right, let's go to track five. All Excess. Mm, this is an intro that I even liked more than the last track. This yeah. has kind of a just this two-chord, steamy, dreamy intro. And then it gradually builds into this sort of quick-step rock feel, this heavy just one, two, one, two, one, two. And the opening hook here, which we do begin pretty soon with the hook, uh, or one of the hooks, 
oh yeah, oh yeah, all right. It's breathy, and it shows off some really, really good harmonies, interestingly, once we actually go between that all right, you get those two voices there, and I, I, I was actually really energized by this track, and so far I was into more of their secondary work and not necessarily the more energetic stuff, but here I'm 100% down with this. I really was focusing on the bass, though. As, this is good, As too. heavy as the drums got, which worked well, the bass wasn't particularly complicated, but it was really catchy, and the deep tone was was a lot to really get me invested in what, what they were trying to say. I think the, f f we're going back to that fast-paced nature, kind of like what we got in Tidal Wave, but in, in a different way, and I think it's because structurally it was built with different bricks, so to speak, because of that drone synth in the beginning and the guitar work. I think it just has a kind of different structure, but it still has a very sing-along sing kind of quality you know this is the kind of song that taking back sunday is kind of known for this kind of something fast-paced you know in your face and that you could kind of get wrapped up in but even beyond that again something you can sing along to as well right which which has a good rhythm beneath it which really supports the ability to sing along to it when you have a good rhythm combined with a really good melody that chorus drown 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 the best parts i love that i could sing along to that forever it's the first part of this album that I'm really like not just saying oh I can sing along to that in theory I'm doing it you know right. and I was doing it before I even noticed it's earwormy one thing I really enjoyed was the verses and how the harmonies broke apart and they were singing it was actual main singer mm -hmm. backup singer and they were singing different things different times and the dichotomy between the two and the way one was really more present than the other that you did have a back drop of like thoughts poking through mm -hmm. on top of the words being said that was just very well done it was enjoyable and i i felt myself wanting to learn both parts yeah that's a party trick that they've been doing for a very long time in one of my favorite songs make damn sure which is off of louder now you know the pre-chorus has this very one line as that line's finishing another line is saying faintly behind it and then the next line with the same thing and it really does it makes you want to be able to sing both even though one starts in the middle of the other it gives this kind of almost echoey feel that i really like that gives it a a really thick texture but the guitar really for me needed some help i wasn't really a lot of the tricks that were coming out earlier or even like not tricks, just doing something exceedingly well. That wasn't showing up here for me. The guitar huh. being I'll, center stage did not feel like it was being center enough, well, being it being explosive enough. See, right. I I actually preferred that it wasn't that flashy center stage guitar. I think I was okay with it being kind of a focal point, but not being completely in your face like it has been before. See, I didn't even see it as a focal point. It felt like it just dropped back into a rhythm section and didn't really poke its head up enough for me to enjoy it, which I didn't realize at this point I was really enjoying the guitar even if I wanted to be critical of it. I think I think here it's because the vocals are definitely kind of the focal they point did for stand sure. Out. And they this stood is the first out time. This is the first time they're really standing out. Uh, it's the I'm, first time they're standing out in this way. Yes. <laughs> because they've <laughs> stood out uh, before in other tracks. They stood out because of their tone and their inflection, but not the words. Not Yes, not, I'll agree. And That's not fine. the rhythm. In other words, I think here everything is jiving together. You may yeah. have been on board with the vocals, but they were they're fine by themselves, but then it's like everything else wasn't framing them in such a way that I felt like I could sing along here. It's all really working. It, the song grew on me like a vine. It's a kind that's like too charming to tear down. And uh, at the end of the day, maybe any little critiques that I 
have about just, you know, whether they could have gone into another section. I'm just kind of going to leave it. And I'm not going to even touch upon it here because I enjoyed it too much. But there is one nitpick I have to point out because it's something I still can't get over. And that's the first time we get, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, all right. I feel dirty and I don't know why. In a pre-course course course idea, after the first verse, this comes in. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, all right. It's sung in harmony and it's sung on a rise where you feel like, oh, they're building up to something. But the way I felt dirty and I don't know why is portrayed single singer on a downturn, dropping down. It feels odd to me. I don't know how else to explain is that it's an oddity. Maybe it's because the harmony is gone and I'm not really feeling the same energy invested in it. Maybe it's the fact that it is on a downslope as opposed to a rise like the previous line or the subsequent line. I just, it feels like that specific part, like I said, it's a nitpick, but that specific part was just not quite there for the rest of the track. And this is where I got to disagree with you, or rather yeah. that that was not a notice- noticeable thing for me. In mm-hmm. fact, these these lines are the same lines that I described in the very beginning. They, they make yeah. their appearance several times in the track, but they were there in the beginning, um, and that was the first moment when it kind of just like woke me up because I was enjoying the sort of breathy nature of it and, and the harmonies in the background, and they, they just got stronger each and every time. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, I'm in a position where I agree with Steve here. I think that I it's, really, a, it's a very minor nitpick. A very minor. And and I think for me it kind of was the glue that held this track together. I think the strongest thing for this track and tracks like it on the album as we go through is that it feels very tight. It feels... Um, intended is the wrong word, but I just I feel like the structure is very much in a way that I wouldn't really change anything. I think it's very tight. It's very you know neat. I think it's... The simplicity of the track actually works for it. Yeah. And I think that's what the the key thing I'm getting from this track is here. Like, nothing is really going out of its way to be flashy. There's no solos. There's no nothing like that. It's it's simple but very tastefully done. Yeah, and I would argue also that this is the point in the album, like, from Fences to, to track five, All Access, and then moving on to track six. Like, this is where the album really kicks up for me. Like, I liked the first three tracks, but... You know, this is where it really starts to pick up steam and I get really excited about it because track six, I felt it too. This is where we get something that I know that this band is known for. We get a more slow, pensive kind of emotional, uh, not necessarily sad the, the song. The slow, sad track. Well, no, it's, but I it's mean, sad. I mean, yeah, yeah well, I guess essentially, to boil it down simply, yes. Well, I do. <laughs> it's not just that simple because yeah. the outro of All Excesses... It bleeds right in. It doesn't... No, it doesn't bleed right in. It fades out and then back into the that's guitar. True, and yeah. that's what's really nice about it. Yeah. We get a fade into acoustic guitar to do a nice little slow riff. It's not doing anything magical, anything special. It's just being very complimentary of the vocals. Complimentary to the vocals. Yeah, it's... I mean, the electric guitar, first of all, here, I find it's nice that it's usually taking the role of what an acoustic guitar would normally do. Mm-hmm. You know, normally if there's an electric guitar there, they try to kind of put more things in here. And gradually you do get a few more things, but really not much. It stays pretty slow, pretty pensive. And it, I thought it was very tasteful because the melody itself is, it, it owns itself enough that it doesn't really feel repetitive in any way. Um, but the big thing even beyond that is the harmonies 
next to the melody. The harmonies, when they're soft, are just as good as when they're loud and energetic, as we just proved in the last track. So now, of course, I can see where the appeal is here in these vocals, because they're doing a lot more, and they're gradually revealing it as the album goes on, which I really, really like. Um, and then the next thing that comes in is the bass. But it just comes in with a low rumble. It's not doing anything complex, it's just this dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, but this is atmospheric stuff, so I'm fine with that. It's more representative of a kind of post-rock track, even though this is not that genre at all. I may use that as like a description and it's just an adjective for certain things, but here this feel it serves the same purpose as many post-rock tracks do, even though they're in a totally different genre. What I like also about this track that I think really kind of locks it in for the record is it's the midpoint of the record and th this nice kind of slow burn, slow build makes this track to me at least musically very representative of the album cover art, which we haven't really talked about yet, which is, you know, a beach scene essentially with a young boy, it looks like, sitting on the rocks and just oceans and clouds. And, you know, it's very serene and very kind of calm. And I think Also this... nostalgic, and that has to do with the fact that the, the that particular picture kind of has these little frayed edges that makes it look as if it were like an old vinyl yeah. that was plucked from like a secondhand shop or something like that, a thrift shop, and it's faded. It's It looks like it is an old picture. It's, of course, designed to look that way. Right. It actually got us on a topic I brought up as like an aside as we were listening to this track, and we had actually paused so I could show pictures, and it is the rule of thirds. And I'm bringing this up here for two reasons. One, visually, the way you do pictures and properly frame stuff, quote-unquote properly, um, is you subdivide your horizontal or your vertical axis to frame your main idea, your main content, in the center third of any picture. Your top being uniform, your bottom being uniform, like framing your horizon so that it overlaps the first two-thirds of the bottom or the first two-thirds of the top. And it, it that sort of setup uh, just draws your eye to the center to really portray the content of what your subject is very well to give it the right framing. That's why it's the rule of thirds. You want a third of this and a third of that side, top, bottom, left, right, to be just background to really allow that centerpiece to stand out or to use it inversely to let the third right side to be your centerpiece and to sort of change the way things are viewed. This track also kind of does the same thing. The same thing that, that covered it. And yeah. same thing that covered it in that the first third is the is the guitar work. It's just the guitar work and it's working with the vocals that are nice and weak and frame that very well and are playing off of one another. And the second third has the bass jump step in mm -hmm. and just do a slow current underneath everything to really add intensity without adding volume, without adding any sort of addition to the melody, just starting to create a rhythm to allow you to get a little bit more intensity. It's the meat. It's probably the part of the track that you would think of if you had to think back to it. And then we get our final third with the actual drums stepping in, and they're adding intensity. But the intensity is not overbearing, it's just foreboding. It's it's foreboding because, well, first of all, at 3 minutes, 55 seconds, you have this, I'm never going back there, and he holds that, that syllable, that word, alongside, there's also a second vocalist. So there's a little bit of a harmony here, and they feel slightly 
out of tune, like one is shifting or waning from the other. And this is something, again, it's all right, it's common in some a lot of punk. In many cases, they're barely in tune, kind of just like irreverently so, but it's also common in emo music. But then the closer and closer you get to rock as Taking Back Sunday is, then it becomes more of a stylistic choice where you know he could sing this perfectly if he wanted to. Instead, that's not that's not his choice. He kind of purpose just just wanes it a little bit, and it makes it feel very broken, very darkened. And there's something about that here that works. I feel it's been played out in many other instances, but it's just again, it's because it's the last third. It's 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 he's waited this far in order to do it. And yes, thank you, John, for that explanation on uh, visual art. <laughs> visual, I'm surprised you never to... explained that before. Especially since you were explaining visual art terms on an audio. And because podcast. this is only yes. like the two hundred something if. Uh, album cover we've had to look and at. And we did do an episode, Life is Strange, which was about a visual artist true. in a video game and everything. Wow. But I never brought but it up there. But let's, here, Let's it's... swing it back to Matt's original point, though. You were <laughs> saying that this track is indicative of that album cover. And I find that interesting because, alright, I agree. I could see the album cover taking place and probably is more appropriate to this track than any other track on the album. But then why is the title track the absolute last thing on this album that I would relate back to that photo? Because... Tidal waves work this way. It's, this is the physics, and you can look it up. I was asking Matt, but sure, go. Well, I, <laughs> I have the science behind it, and I already explained it off air, and I want to do it now. When a tidal wave is off. going to be hitting somewhere, when you're expecting you know, a 15-footer, 20-footer to wipe out a town, well, the sea goes calm. You don't have to see storms. You don't have to feel it. But what happens is the whole tide actually draws back and you get sort of an inhalation of breath from the sea itself as everything pulls back, everything gets calm because all the water that is being used for this wave has now left the shore and is making that churning explosion of power before it hits you. That's why this works with the picture. The picture is not showing the tidal wave. The picture is showing the few moments or minutes or maybe even hours in some cases before that wave comes and washes everything away. That really reminds me of an Australian film from the 80s called The Wave. It was either The Wave or The Big Wave. It's really kind of an indie flick down there, but it essentially is about just that. It's like this ancient aboriginal tale that the big wave will come and it will just destroy everybody and everybody's going to die. But the whole movie is really slow, and it's really just about this reporter going, trying to talk to several aboriginal tribes, trying to, like, find the origin of this tale, see if it's true, see if there's anything to do about it. Something to that effect. This is a long time since I've seen this movie. But there's really not a lot happens. There's no action. And then at the end, they are just sitting on the, the, the beach, and you could maybe see the wave in the distance. I'm not even sure if they showed it in the film. I think it was more just the implication. So... Yeah, basically everything that you said, which I'm not sure I believe. <laughs> I'm not sure that was the intention, but it's nice to wonder. Let's go to track seven, Call Come Running. Um, this one was a lot more punky. Yep, we get back to the fast-paced kind of... This one, though, with the, the, the way the drums are here, is more indicative of fast-paced movement, running, if you will. Yep. Um, which adds a nice texture to the track, which I really like. Um, this is... You know, it's not quite the same as the earlier punkier tracks we had because as punk tends to do, you can go several different ways. But it does definitely have the pacing of, of a punk track. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's about what I'll leave it at. Just the pacing. Apart from that, it's the rock track. It. The only thing is this didn't have any special pizzazz. To me, this was a little bit of an exception in, in the rule of you're saying that these tracks generally are getting more interesting. I kind of agree. But this track... It didn't have any special pizzazz in the chorus, at least. Um, the verse, though, 
well, the first verse, even still, not going to really speak much about. But the second verse, the drums, I thought, were phenomenal. And that's yeah. when it really starts getting a lot better. It was, I think it was only present because we were listening to another rebuild verse. And that actually was getting to me a little bit. And that every time the verse comes in, it's a rebuild. It's start at the bottom, work your way back up. The drums were great, especially compared to the first verse, which they were kind of boring. But the only reason we know that is because of that rebuild. And I think that's what's the most bothersome for me is that we I don't think we would have heard it if it was just, you know, flow back straight into the verse again. I mean, I think that saying the drums were boring in the first verse is a little no. harsh. I would say no. that. No, it's not. Not, not, <laughs> not, not to my ear. There was nothing the particular to notice about um, in, the fir- in that earlier segment until all of a sudden it's like the track wakes up. It just got a lot more energy is in the wrong term. The track already had energy, right? But it just got more technicality than it did, which is okay. That's a nice reveal, but it's just if you were basing it off of, you know, earlier verses or any of the choruses, there's nothing I can really say that is particularly special about it apart from, hey, it has energy. Yeah, I mean, I think that after you know, kind of the motions we went through with track six, I feel like this is a nice follow-up, but yes, it doesn't really break any boundaries. I think like other tracks on the earlier part of the record, it's consistently good. But beyond that, it's not breaking then let's, anything Let's out. focus on the great, because the verse in the, I mean, the second verse, the drums were yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And then, yeah, all right, you have a Probably chorus. the most playful they've been on the whole album so Ab- far. Yep, so far. And then you have a chorus two, and then we have kind of a solo. Um... It's actual, an actual guitar solo, not, not yeah. kind of this time. Sometimes it was, been a, and it was of. very this well is... textured too. Like I like the, it felt almost tactile in the way it was being played. You described it uh, off air as a dog pile of guitars. Right. Well, because I just like that. The the, the flow <laughs> of this solo, it wasn't just this consistent meeting, as a strong bad would say. It had a lot of like it came in, it went out. It it's one guitar, but of... it is very yeah. It's not like uh, it's not like a, a, a tasteful jazz solo or anything right. where it's like really like holding one note, really just turning into this kind of it improvisatory felt like it was melody and going from the mic. Not not necessarily that it was, but it's just yeah, it's just the kind of the way it ebbed and flowed felt very um, natural and kind of flowy. <laughs> flowy, yes, flowy. flowy. I'm sticking flowy. to it. Stick with it. I wasn't particularly invested in the solo. I wasn't particularly in, impressed by it. I think at that point I was already kind of checking out with this because I really was not a... It was another one of those parts where the, the choruses were just not getting to me. They weren't really hitting me. It, one of the things that was showing up was the kind of stutter drum at the end of each phrase on the chorus and in each yeah, line yeah, work. Yeah. And something like I, that. I noticed I was just, the same thing. I was, was almost a- scoffing at that point. Like, oh, of course, you got to do something like that before you go into the next line of the chorus. Yeah. I, it just I was they, they felt sort of like old thing. tricks. Then that was the problem, I yeah. guess, until you get moments like those drums and until moment like the solo. Uh, the bridge. I think I kind of glazed over the solo because of that. Oh, I see. Yeah, but you tuning out is not their fault it's your fault that is true well it's also it's a little bit of they weren't able to keep my attention sure i i think it's not just me yes but i mean it's your perception of the track that's coloring it i didn't i didn't have trouble losing focus so i mean you know well it's just that i think john is jumping to the amalgamation of the track and when you amalgamate yeah, then yes fair. certain little things that were awesome individually in isolated areas can do, just kind of blind. They, yeah, yeah no that's fair you can you could forget them probably as a whole but the bridge is something to mention here because well 
it starts off with this strange, like, high-pitched noise, which I realized that, in retrospect, was actually there earlier on, but you barely even notice it next to all the other stuff. But here, it stood apart from the pack, um, like they were kind of adding an eerie element to this segue, and it was just a little bit strange. I'm not going to say this was out of place or anything, I just, and actually I thought it was interesting, I think, next to the hole, because after that they sort of dive straight into a sort of semi-final, heavier chorus. Heavier, yeah, which kind of goes out big. They've which, done several times. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you want to kind of emphasize something or put an exclamation point on something, it's common to do that. I don't know that it took anything away from the track for me. It definitely didn't add anything either, though. Um... From here, though, we go to track eight, Holy Water. And the track starts with a drone that's pretty much being a guitar being strummed really quickly. But it. A uh, bass being strummed really quickly. The guitar is kind of doing the drone, but it's not even really a drone. It's more of an oscillation. And it, it just keeps going in the background while a more slower paced vocal melody begins. Um, Read slow, but not without energy. I still yeah. think this is a track that has energy, it's just not a soft pace. It's not a soft little peaceful energy. It's just slower, that's all. Um, but the tinny, weak guitar pattern, after we really kick into the verse here, is pretty interesting. It's just this little like tick, 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 tick. But it's interesting because it starts getting flatter gradually. It starts warping, and this time I do mean tonally flatter, right? It goes a little bit lower in tone, which warps the overall tone of the song a little bit. This slow... Uh, kind of wander and wonder kind of track. I feel like that's what I'm doing, just walking the streets throughout the verses. But what I like is the way it kind of takes its time and builds, and all the while, Adam's vocals are probably at their rawest here. Here and a few other tracks towards the end, like, he really kind of lets loose and kind of, like, his voice breaks, and, like, he goes high, he goes low. And it's... I like that he kind of you know, just kind of is much freer with his how he's feeling through. He, I think the that's way because it's slower. Yeah, it's not just his vocal work. The lyrics are shining through right yeah. here. I mean, besides the, the the contrast of the instruments, the voice is working with all three different ideas that are being presented right here. The flow, almost arena kind of an idea, but it's an empty arena. The tick 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 that yeah. I really like, even though that is. In, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's an annoying sound <laughs> that is just not annoying right here. But it does a lot to really accent the breakup of his voices and the cracks that's showing up. Yeah. But the words and the way the words are coming out are great. When the lights went down and the room cleared out, I could see, I could see, standing still and straight up right in front of me. There's my empty arena right there. Hmm. Singing holy water, holy water, straight and narrow. I love you because you shoot straight as an arrow. I am puzzled pieced together in the palm of your hands. Take me out of there. We'll see how well I stand. Nothing starts to matter. I can feel it when. Take me out of there and it all goes to hell. Like I'm feeling every word that's coming (laughs) up right here. And when the chorus comes in with singing holy water... It, it it shifts what each instrument is doing. The drone is still there, but that kind of gets lost. The ticking is still there, but it's actually being portrayed by the drums in the rhythm section. The guitar and the ticks are no longer that piece. Instead, they're actually playing up the melody. Everything kind of shifts, and this shift keeps the feel, but it's a little bit on the abrupt side. And in a way, I like the way it is so abrupt for the song. Yeah, I think as always with Taking Back Sunday... I'm often more invested when either the vocals have this kind of emotion or passion behind them that I get wrapped up in, mm-hmm. or when the lyrics are clearly 
enunciated in a certain way that I can kind of pick apart and get sucked into the narrative. Either way, though, I definitely come back to this band because of the singing and the vocals and the content sort of speak. You know, the instrumentation I like and the music I like, and I think the reason that what has annoyed you both on the album kind of falls off me here is because what I'm targeting in and kind of locking onto is not necessarily the things that you find repetitive or that are bothering you. It's not every case, and it is case by case, because there are definitely moments, even for me on the album, where I'm like, well, okay, this is just more of the same. Well, there's something about this track where it's hard to be, I guess, critical because I feel like if everything is a little so much more paced yeah. and considered from one moment to the next that my my observations about it really aren't critiques like all right yeah. I could easily equate my observation of the chorus here like the instrumental observation in that it it, it feels kind of like a punching bag it's not subtle it just bursts into existence and yeah. the funny thing is that in many ways all right I've described other choruses as being Similar to that, but then I usually imply that that means, oh, they're separate, they're divorced from it's, the whole. It's or but at here least it a doesn't negative. feel that. Yeah, but here it doesn't feel that way. Or it's just because they're taking their time with it. It feels mm-hmm. like when something suddenly happens, it was very, very considered. Like I said, and then after the chorus, the build to the second verse. It happens so slowly and so delicately. I thought this was, I will confess, even though I'm not flat out saying that earlier, burst into the chorus was a critique, I do think it was a lot more tasteful in the build back into the second verse. Because it was so slow and so delicate, you barely even realize that you're in the second verse before you're you're there. And you have to wake up and say, oh, I'm in the second verse now. Um, As for the last chorus, it was kind of erratic. It was just a a lot of like, all right, it's, it's, it's the punching bag that the first chorus was, but it gets... It's he's just he's sucking away at it now. It's just a lot of heavy rock in the vein of almost Led Zeppelin because even in some cases the way he sings almost sounds a little bit like he's uh, doing that kind of like Robert Plant. Yeah, harmonic wailing almost. And I think like where we were talking about it was raw before. Now it's as raw as it could be. I mean, it's just he's opening his chest cavity almost at this point. Like, you get the sense of just pure emotion. Well, you talk about some of the punches. Now I'm thinking if you left, it wouldn't be half bad, just a couple of drinks so I could handle it. Like, okay, well, no, no, no. It's it's, You could leave, go. I'll just get a little bit intoxicated and forgetful of this night. Yeah. (laughs) Because nothing starts to matter. I could feel it when I'm thinking if you left, it wouldn't be half bad. Yeah. You should be happy. Because you've got people, people that love you, baby, that love you, baby. Like, like it's funny. At times, it sounds sincere. And all this is just bursting through on top of everything else. But what's interesting about those lyrics is that sometimes they sound sincere. Like, he really wants this other person to be happy and that but they've got people. At the same but time, sometimes it does sound sarcastic, too. Like sarcastic. Further than that, jaded. Right. Like, like oh, yeah, you've got people, baby. Whatever. But the cracks in the voice that yeah. are showing up make it so that, yeah, even if it's mean, you know it's lashing out from from a, a, place, place, of of, a place of pain, yeah. a place of hurt. Well, first and of it's all... So so well done. Is holy water just in a, just booze? Is that? What I mean, he's... I'm guessing it's it's an analogy for booze here. It's not because or... then right after that, like singing holy water, holy water, straight and narrow. I love you because you shoot straight as an arrow. Now I'm thinking if you left, it wouldn't be half bad. Just a couple drinks so I can handle it. Yeah, I, it almost feels like that's where he's going with it. Otherwise, well, it, it's... otherwise, if he was talking to I love you, the person, because you shoot straight as an arrow, then that doesn't feel very genuine at all. Because 
if then after if after that he says now I'm thinking if you left it wouldn't be half bad then there seems to be something very empty in that line you know uh, holy water straight and narrow I love you because you shoot straight as an arrow like what does that mean you know like it's just kind of an empty I love you for yeah that reason whatever well, well no, I mean it, it could, could be... be that way imper- uh, intentionally and what's interesting also about holy water why I theorized he was talking about the booze maybe right but also holy water could just be holy water I mean it's a couple of drinks. You know, he's saying that... People the, generally don't drink holy water. <laughs> no. It could be... But the, it doesn't have to be. It uh, doesn't I got. I got this. I got this. It could be the cleansing and religious aspect of it, of how it's. it has the ability to sort of remove sins. But when you start talking about the arrow itself, you could... You pierce my heart and all that sort of symbolism that's associated with it, like the Cupid and love and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Also, the pain associated with it. You're a straight being shot arrow. with an arrow. Yeah, it's it's painful, but it's love. Like it's that. It's both at the same time. It's it's the good and the bad and everything in between. So holy water is both. It's that purifying thing, but it's that poisonous thing at the same time. It could be literal. It could just be hell. Yeah, sometimes you need some holy water in order to put that thing behind you. Well, also yeah. keep in mind, I mean, some of the things that help clean and heal also hurt. I mean, think about putting alcohol on an open wound. You know, it hurts, but it's helping. And I think there's a lot of that here, too. All right. Let's, uh, well, first of all, let me just add one little quick thing. That slow, waney, like, oscillation, that wine, it returns at the end, but it actually gets more whiny than it was in the beginning, kind of accentuating the fact that that last chorus was so erratic. So I thought that was an interesting way, instrumentally, to end the song. Let's go to track nine, In the Middle of It All. Anyone else want to start here? Because I, I, this is another case where I really like where it goes, but I don't have too many things to say about the very beginning. The beginning, the rhythm of the song was a little bit dull to me. It was a lot of this like pairing of two notes, sort of uh, in kind of a little bit of a hemiola thing, where if you were going double time, then it'd be this like one and, and three, four and and two, three and four, one and and two, and it just does that kind of over and over, and every, that that motif, that rhythmic motif, comes back again and again and again in the song. By the time, by that time, I was a little tired. I think Matt said it was a little bit boxy. I think you were the one that used that well, word. Well, yeah. So I think this, I used that. Word. Well, one of you. Yes. Yeah. So the track starts off with this kind of warped, kind of guitar-y sound, which that, I mean we've gotten before. Kind a of dial like, in like idea, they're dialing yeah. it in, and then once the drums come in, the drums help kick off that pattern that C was just talking about. But what's interesting about that pattern? Why I don't know that I initially got bored by it, but it definitely wasn't doing anything new, but it kind of gives the illusion of being interesting, is that, you know, it's got this kind of boxy kind of can be one way, but also if you really listen intently, it could be another, but it still fills out the same overall pattern, grid work. And ultimately, it doesn't really change up from that. It does kind of move in that same way, pretty straightforward for a lot of the track. One thing that got to me was, when uh, going back to the rhythm, when you're counting in double, that that last three and four before they shift from say chorus to verse or verse to chorus gets kind of eaten up by the next section and they go through a standard four count for as long as they need to and then they either eat it up again so that you're back to the same count or they add yeah they a shift up extra. with that that yeah. the rhythm pattern that but I it was a it was a faux shift it wasn't an actual change in anything and that act that got to me a little bit that well, it was almost a ruse at doing something interesting, and it, it did bother me. It, it's, yeah, I guess it just became a little bit of a tired motif, or rather it looked so tired next to what they go into because, I don't mean to start this track off so negatively, because this is probably has one of my favorite sections. The bridge of this of this track turns 
it goes in a whole nother direction. The drums, first of all, when the bridge begins, are absolutely nuts. They're, they're top-tier quality. The vocals, when they come in here, are extremely dreamy. And then the chord progressions here, we're moving ahead. It's like he is trying to turn this into a prog track for a second. But then there's like a, 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 a tape deck playback at the very end of this bridge of the same rhythmic motif from earlier. And it just rings out, and that's where I thought this would have been another perfect opportunity for an ending. But no, one more chorus. And it's a chorus that I couldn't speak very much of because I've already really just said all that I have to say about it. They put us in a dream but woke us up a little bit too abruptly. That was... Yeah. It felt more like a dream. That's what's being said at this moment. And we were there. It was, it was another like <laughs> post-rock idea coming to fruition. And they, they broke it. They I just, broke the spell. I just realized that this was not intentional, audience. But I, I just described it as being extremely dreamy. And I d just realized that those are, in fact, the, 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 the lyrics here. The, it felt how, more like a dream. It felt more like a dream. They were so weak that you could barely perceive them. If you were focusing on the words, you would have heard them. But yeah. I love the frailty in these voices. I was just listening to the music. The music was beautiful. <sighs> I hated waking up from that dream. I but, really yeah. did. But to throw in an unnecessary and unwarranted artistic defense. I mean, it does sound like the idea that he, he's kind of waking up from this dream or doesn't want to, and so to abruptly wake you up from it does make sense let's, incrementally. Let's use this as an opportunity to actually read the entire lyrics of this track. Took a chance and we hit the ground running, waiting for it nearly all night long. Now the others saw the whole thing coming, took a chance, and we hit the ground running. Even when I look back now, try to slow it down somehow. It's something that I can't explain, a fever running through my veins. It felt more like a dream. Now the others saw the whole thing coming. Oh, how'd we live without it for so long? Yeah, windows open to a full-face moon, exchanging Bible verses in my room. Even when I look back now, try to slow it down somehow, it's something that I can't explain, a fever running through my veins. It felt more like a dream. It felt more like a dream. In the middle of it all, I could see you there, standing out of reach. It felt more like a dream. Even when I look back now, try to slow it down somehow, it's something I can't explain, a fever running through my veins. And then finally, in the middle of it all, the calm before the storm, I can see you there, just as from the night before. In the middle of it all, it felt more like a dream. I can see you there, standing out of reach. Felt more like a dream. So I see where he's coming from. I see your artistic defense. It's absolutely there, 100%. It's just strange that... I only feel the weight of this, of the whole story. Yeah. I only truly feel the weight of it in the middle, in the quote-unquote dream. Mm. Okay, I mean, maybe though, because that's where you feel the weight, the coming out of it, as it were, the heavy, the, you know, the return to chorus is more impactful that way. Because you have the kind of disparity between. Except that. As far as me and John are concerned, I don't think we really felt the impact there. Yeah. We, well, you felt the coming out of the dream part because you wanted to go back to what well, was the yeah, nice in, bit. Yes, okay, in the most literal sense. Yes. And if he wanted to, us to experience that, then perhaps there was no other way. And perhaps it had to be with something fairly rote and maybe by the end of the track even annoying yeah. as that rhythmic motif. It's a possibility. I just loved the way he rang out that I chord. Know, I, I loved know, it so I much. It, but was, it whatever. was gorgeous. All right, All right, well, now we can move on to my favorite track of the record. Track 10, We Don't Go In There. Um, 
we've had some acoustic work here on the record before, but this is where we really kind of dive into some really beautifully slow and sad acoustic work for the for the first 32 seconds. And once again, we're getting a weak vocal pattern, but this isn't the weak and fear that we had earlier, or the weak and fractured of earlier. This is weakness in face of something scary, in face of something dangerous, because there's a little quiver going on with a lot of the end of the phrases that is just really heart-wrenching, like, all right, you're trying to do something that you're scared of, but you're there's a little bit of bravery there. There's a little bit of trying to face your demons. That is, it, it's it's done in just a little syllable being extended with a little bit of vibration at the end, and mm-hmm. it's so well done. And this starts out really as the true delicate acoustic track, kind yeah. of not unlike a few tracks ago. We had something that started off with an electric guitar instead, but still kind of served the same role. Well, this is acoustic guitar, and the guitar work is really very smooth, very fluid. I thought it was beautiful here, and the the lyrics you have to you have to notice them. I mean, the devil's in the details, and we don't go in there. That is such a beautiful line. Because I of love course, that one. I like it because it implies to so many things in life you know it applies to it applies to relationships that where people are avoiding problems it it uh, applies to to politics where people don't want to look at the the truth of the matter or do their research or anything it applies to it applies to people who don't read the the research involved in science papers in order to put the proper funding where it is i don't care what you care about in life most that is that's a beautiful line the devil's in the details and we don't go in there we're just going to avoid it and just play nice <laughs> And what's great is this section, these first 32 seconds, is actually the chorus. It's the core of the track, but we don't realize this yet. It just seems like an idea. Nobody knows, nobody cares about the high, when, why, or where. The devil's in the details, and we don't go in there. Make it sound so simple. Make it sound so cheap. And those those right there is where Mm -hmm. that quiver starts stepping Mm -hmm. in. You make it seem so easy lying through your... And teeth starts. And when the word teeth is said... 32 seconds in. Dude, it just rocks. Yeah. And it's such a great rock. We love to it talk about sim- how much we hate abrupt changes, but this change is perfect. It is well-earned. It, it, it chill, Chills sad. went up and down at it, this moment. It feels satisfying. It's, we often talk about these intro moments that just feel so alien, but here, I wouldn't have wanted more than those 32 seconds. They felt just so perfect in the way they were, and what's great is that when we get this power in this rock part, we also get this followed guitar, this pathing guitar that hits like three or four notes and then whammies and just wavers, sort of in the same way that his voice quivered earlier on. Exactly, at the close of the phrase. Um, And it really is incredible. If I could be candid for a moment here, this uh, is a moment where I've known of Taking Back Sunday for years and years. I said at the top of the show that I never really dived into the band. A lot of people had played it at me, and I guess there had not been too many tracks of the tracks that my friends or friends of friends had chosen. There had not been many things to uh, inspire me to go really deep into their discography. But in this singular moment, they made me a fan, and I wanted to actually see what else they have done along these lines at previous on previous occasions. Wait, Who knows? It- maybe it's just a, a unique case, because so far I've been all over the place with this album. But I'm just saying, but acknowledge you know brilliance when it occurs. Is this mean that I've potentially possibly pulled a John moment with one of my favorite bands? And like 
you with John and Decemberists and us with you no, giving an honest no, attempt clearly to clearly not, because otherwise I would have gone through the discography by now and you would have shown me this in advance. True. <laughs> Which but is you on might, you, man. That's but on you. you. Might have retro, you might retroactively do it. I'm not a time traveler. Uh, so, no. <laughs> Case in point, no. Um, this is pretty fascinating because I, I like the... The direction that they're going in in this one instance, but the funny thing is I am going to part ways with you yeah. in a moment because the verse that follows, I was focused a lot more on the singing and honestly at this moment, it's not like they stuck around completely in this track for me. There's still a lot of like case by case, moment by moment. It was a little bit thin, the singing, in the beginning of this verse for me, but it starts developing a lot more in the pre-chorus. Then in the pre-chorus, it goes back. He he builds upon this vibrato. It, it's very easy to sing along at this point, and it, he, he is starting to show a lot more emotion here. But then we go to the chorus, and we swing back again, because in the chorus... I wish they had kind of stayed in the darkness of the opening setup being thrust into 32 seconds and where he was going with that guitar work uh, in the first few seconds of the verse. But here in the chorus, I didn't feel like it didn't really keep around that 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 bitterness. The lyrics are there. They're bitter enough, I guess. I just wanted them to go a step further. I will... The major shift when the verse actually steps in is the fear... And the quivering nature, the kind of sniveling nature of the character mm. prior is gone. He found the bravery. This second chorus, it can't go back to it. Yes, there's some anger in that verse, but the chorus is now not a a a a, a declaration against the darkness he's fighting against. This is now no, he's strong. This is an individual who found his inner strength. Except so it's I'm, the same lyrics. It's the same yeah. lyrics, but now they're taking on a different connotation because well before it was sort of bemoaning the idea of we never approach this. Now it's 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 lamenting, but with a little bit of anger to it. He's more emphatic about it. Well, yes. And also, I admit, you know, there's there's certainly a realization that comes with someone who's able to uh, have the insight to say the devil's in the details and we don't go there. You know, yeah. often the problem, I think, people in general is that, well, we don't notice the devil in the details. We're the people that are stuck in that loop, right. you know? And if, if you're the one to at least notice it, then there has to at least be some confidence in that. So if that's your defense for the, the tone of the chorus, sure. But... Let's go into the second pre-chorus, because here I start really enjoying it again. The, the the pausing, the holding his vocals in the in the sevenths over the next chord. The second pre-chorus was even better than the first. This track is a roller coaster, um, and then after that we move into a bridge, if you could call it that. I mean, what I really like about this bridge here is considering the way the song's been moving, that they kind of really gonna go all out here. All this pent-up frustration and aggravation and anger, it's vented in the form of this kind of jam-out bridge where the guitars are hard, the drums are hard, the bass is really there. Like, it really just well, is this kind of The bass cacophony. is not just there. That's actually the thing I was right. going to bring up, is that the bass feels almost, it feels downright melodic. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a role that the bass has not had on the album yet. Is that normally, yeah, it's just kind of eighth notes in the background. Some more interesting stuff here and there, but in this particular segment, it is standing out. It's sort of, it is doing the singing. It's, it's like all of these instruments are kind of crying out. Yeah, almost like it's the postscript after everything else. Yeah. There is one thing I want to go back, because you talked about the second pre-chorus, yes. which was thinking you had us all fooled, all us fooled, all us fooled. Those lines right there. What led up to it, I think, is what made it so perfect to go into that bridge, outro, chorus combination. Because that second verse is not just 
vocally and lyrically great, but the music just fits the mood so perfectly. And the truth is, I hated it. Am I the only one who sees? We're scraping the surface because there's not much underneath. And then the line, still everyone was hanging on to every single word. The music flips. It starts with still and everything gets quiet and gets very close to the ear. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot going on musically, but when every single word, it gets as loud as it's ever been on the Mm -hmm. album. It just punches you in the side of the head as you're listening. Little bit right here. Nonchalant, you shrug it off. Go right back to form. Nonchalant, you shrug it off. Thinking you had us all fooled, all us fooled, all us fooled. And the guitar starts like stuttering and slanting downward. Mm -hmm. And then we go into the awesomeness of the chorus bridge conglomerate of Feel Good's (laughs) outro. Right. and then But then it really ends on the note it started with. We go back to that acoustic guitar. And what I like... With like a weak rock setup. And and also, well, and also it's a very sudden shift. It's as sudden as what we experienced from from soft to, to loud in 32 seconds. We experienced at the end down to soft again. The track loops back on itself and in a really beautiful way that I think kind of gives this cyclical nature, which we're I at least am a sucker for because it makes something feel complete. It feels like it had a starting point, it had an end point, and it, it always intended to get back. It feels there. logical and intended buzzwords I'm always throwing around, right? But, which are which are very difficult to account for, but sometimes you know it when you when you hear it, right? And I think also for me, there's this consistency in what I know to be taking back Sunday of to kind of have this predestined ending that you're moving your way towards and that even though it doesn't always seem obvious in every individual moment on a grander scale you can really see it i also like the slight little ralentando at the end just a slight slowdown only a second before the end not like this prolonged slowdown thing and i'm right with you matt this is my favorite track on the album oh man yeah it's it's a close toss-up between stuff like I Felt It Too and Holy Water. Sure. But here, mm-hmm. I, it's that completeness feature. And the fact that it's really starting to settle down the album mm-hmm. and show a growth in the character made the next track, Homecoming, a little bit of a letdown for me. See, and I disagree, and I'll tell you why. So track 11, Tell's. Homecoming, it, it, it sounds like... I, the best way I can explain it is if you've heard any upbeat all-american reject song it fits that mold quite a bit like your move along it, it's it's very it's got a marching drum it's got an uplifting tone the vocals it's are uplifting the lyrics a are folk uplifting. rock track yeah. first of all um, it was mumford sing a it phrase really did feel like it's a, like sing a phrase then follow it with a thunderous drum compliment right yeah. sing a phrase follow it with a little you know folk done folk done it's a very feel-good uh, track, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Let's read a little bit just to get the vibe here. You ain't gotta worry about me, baby. Now I got everything I need. It's taken me all this time to see. If I live, if I don't get killed, I'm going back to Jacksonville one of these days. It won't be long. They'll look for me, and I'll be gone. Hey, you ain't gotta worry about me, baby. Now I got everything I need. It's taken me all this time to see. I'm coming home. And then repeat of that. Uh, wow, that's pretty much most of the track. So, yeah. <laughs> it's almost the entirety of the yeah, lines. Yeah, the, lyrically, there's not a lot of content in what's being said. But what I like about the track is it's just, I felt it was kind of refreshing, A, to the whole album, and B, to the previous track. Because it would have been hard to follow up. Like, I feel like track 12 to track 10, that connection would have been really lost. But Homecoming is a nice little breather. It requires a lot less thought. It's sweet. You know, it's positive, it's uplifting, it's almost saccharine sweet, and I don't mind that. I think that it gives you kind of a perspective on the previous track. But the candy, saccharine sweet nature of it 
while it works for other bands, like if you go into Mumford and Sons, I'm using them as an example because they have that kind of upbeat, strummy nature to them, but they get dark with their lyrics and those lyrics show through. They get kind of into at least a morally gray area with a lot of their stuff that I think works well against how bright stuff like a banjo sounds. Here, everything is meshing too brightly, and after a lot of the trippy emotional roller coasters we got previously this feels a little bit too happy and see I... and i will say this homecoming if you just let me continue a little bit longer this homecoming is too happy like it doesn't seem like any of the previous things that happened are affecting the fact that you can always go home that there is a safe place that you can go back to that really does feel like it's unchanged and the character at this point doesn't feel unchanged. So we know he went through growth. That setup doesn't doesn't let this mesh too well for me as far as the overall story goes. See, and I would disagree only because the flow... Of, first of all, if this track came anywhere else, I'd be more inclined to agree with both of you that it just feels kind of empty. But because it's towards the end and it's right before the final track that does get a lot slower, and we'll get into that... I think that it's in a good place. I think that kind of hollow, almost fakeness is intentional. I think that it's supposed to feel a little hollow because, again, as someone who's personally moved out, failed, finger quotes, and then moved home again, you do, you kind of have this fake smile on when you go home because you know you can go back to your parents. You know, and your heart of hearts, you're not the only person to ever go through this. But it still kind of feels hollow. And I think that's all intended here. And I think it's also just a breath of fresh air in the album because it's not like anything else on the record. And also just to bring it back to you for a second, to bring it to bring it back and then move out again and then, yeah. you know, yeah, succeed in many ways. Right. So, um, oh, can you take that compliment? Here's I'm the thing. Sure, why not? I think, I'm tempted not to say this because this is going to support your argument, but this is a... <laughs> um, throw this little bit of BS in your direction, but if you're going to actually visualize the arc of this album, there is an interesting element here, is that the two tracks that, by me and John's quote-unquote standards, we seem to find the most empty or harmless, and yes, I guess there's a bit of underhanded, like, we really wouldn't, you know, seek them out um, in saying that, but it's interesting that the two of those tracks occur in both the second track and the penultimate track. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the bracket within the bracket here, mm-hmm. which is just a little bit interesting as if you have intro material, you have exit material, and then you have that kind of fake smile on your face going into the, to begin the album and to leave it before you actually have the real message. It's I've never quite seen an album designed that way, and I don't know if it is intentional, but like I said... Even though they're totally different genres, track two in how just blatantly punk it is without really no frills and a kind of a big energetic smile in your face is very much like what this track 11 serves, except it does it with folk instead. I find that interesting. I don't know if it was intended or not. Well, thank you, anyway. Even though I know you were Not for you. I know it wasn't for me, but I'll take it anyway. (laughs) Track 12. I'll find a way to make it what you want. And now the longest title we've gotten in... I might be the longest overall we've ever gotten for a track. I doubt that. I and I, and the funny thing is, because I can recall you saying this before. I yeah. know. And I feel like it's been with is, longer titles. 
this is this is this has got two subjects or maybe an object. I don't know. Grammar is hard, but uh, I want to comment so on well. that because uh, okay, there's like four endings in this track by itself, or it feels like they're harking back to four different ideas for endings for an album, because we go through phases. Well. First phase is the reverse strum. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like a guitar playing backwards. But a nice, interesting effect is going on. The vocals, the way the phrases and the syllables are ending, are, it's matching up very well with this guitar work and causing them to feel backwards and causing them to feel clipped. But these clipped syllables, what happens as everything builds upon it, it, it sort of gets lost and we hit sort of a stopping point only about a third of the way through the track. Well, I think that, well, I can't readily identify it as a guitar specifically. It does sound like there's this instrumentation being played in reverse. I uh, think it is a, a guitar. It feels yeah. like a strummed guitar, but just like one backwards. strum and then played backwards. But that kind of becomes the rhythm. That is the strummed guitar. It's just each and every time you hear it, it's played backwards. And it's, I wouldn't call it eerie or anything, but it's, it's, a, it's a tool. It was seems... that I've never heard before as a constant, you know, figuration, and it's kind of neat. It seems abnormal. Like, it's not necessarily unnerving or eerie, but it's definitely not natural, which I think is where I was getting the eeriness from, because when we experience things that feel truly unnatural, it can put us on edge. But that said... We felt more unnatural things, but maybe within the context of this album, which really hasn't made use of a lot of electronic tools, to hear it at the end is noticeable. Um, but I will agree with John. I think that it does a great complement to Adam's vocals here, because they're doing an interesting pairing here. And while, yes, by the time we get to the first third of the track, it, you know, there isn't a lot of change, I kind of like where it's sitting, so I don't mind it that much. Well, it does build, and it but it has kind of a finale idea because then we get the next section of, of longer strings of piano, of very soft drums built into it. And this has an ending feel, but a completely, well, not completely, but a separate ending feel. It feels like a different kind of finale for this album. This isn't the... This is only the second one. We go through a third one with similar ideas being played in. The reverse idea comes back again. Like, I don't know how many times I want to end this track. Which but it, ending is the one with that just has those bare piano chords than the really, really super weak vocals? That, is, that was only like at about a minute 47. That's yeah, the second ending. I think that's your, the second, your, that's quote, second, unquote, second ending. ending. Yeah. Um, I also kind of liked that around that one, the, the electric like noise rock guitar starts creeping in slowly around mm -hmm. that moment to kind of gobble up all of the attention. But it's the transition point. That that guitar brings us to like the kind of warped piano sound that we get after that. What I like about this is while, yeah, it feels oh, like... Oh yeah, the childish piano. It's like yeah. looking back at a montage of your life. It was very strange. And what I think is important to note here is while it does feel like it's multiple endings, I like to look at it also as like an evolution of a narrative. I mean... We were joking off air about how it. I, I compared it to the multiple endings of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. But, you know, that's not far off because while they did all feel like endings, they were also kind of tying knots on the evolution of the story as it wrapped up together. And I think this is doing a similar thing. And it's doing it in a different way. I mean, we complain about a lot of tropes on albums and kind of just being there as a conclusion. Whereas here... We're getting multiple conclusions, and I can't remember 
kind of ever. We've talked about that on the podcast, at least. Well, if I wanted to be a naysayer, I could be like, well, they're doing multiple tropes and they're just throwing them all together. I'm not being a naysayer. Each individual section is pretty in its own right. And it does fit the tone of the record. It feels like an overture, but at the end almost. Like, it's, it's mm, hearkening back. It doesn't back. borrow much. And that's where, I guess, uh, an overture would do something Right. I more. think it is hearkening back to tones, though, that we had gotten before. Or well, at least kind of emotional states. But where did the piano come in? And strings were barely present in other parts. That's where I'm being a naysayer once again. I like how the emotion is still there with a, a lot of the, the throwbacks. The vocals are definitely meshing up with a lot of that sort of stuff. And the phrase work is still within the same sort of veins. Let's, but... let's read a bit, as I want to do at the end of albums. I guess this is as good a time as any, <laughs> threatening to kick me out of the house, like waiting on a heart attack. I hate it because I can't hit back. Find a way to make it what you want. I'll find a way to make it what you want. I'll wait until you're good and sure and ready, not even going to try to change your mind, like waiting on a heart attack. Hate it because I can't hit back. Uh, give me time and give me strength. Give me all that you can take. Give me time and give me soul. Exercise your self-control. Take only what you think you need, unannounced and suddenly. Make it seem you're making way. Give me more than I can take. Um, See, what, essentially I, it. what I like about the lyrical content of this song and a lot of the album is even though in moments it feels blatantly like a breakup album, as a whole, I'm not listening to this record going, yep, it's a breakup album. Like, no. It was an album of strife and an album of strong emotions and an album of, you know, problems and, and suffering and understanding things, and love. But it's but Things it was, that aren't always explicit. Right. But what I think I liked is that there's never a, an explicitly romantic moment here where I go, aha, it's a breakup album. Even though the elements are definitely there right in front of our face. And I think that's interesting. I don't think even those elements that were kind of in our face are really that in our face. Because right. they're open for interpretation. Really, I guess I would sum it up as a a a attempt at self-growth that ends in failure. Yeah. Which is an interesting idea for an album. You try to become a bigger person and you try to become more than what you are, but if we're going to take Homecoming and I'll find a way as the actual finale to this story, there was a lot of failure involved. There was yeah. a lot of going back and trying and, well, they didn't work out in the end. So... I guess it's it's a nice bittersweet or maybe just bitter tragedy going on right here. But I think what really makes it bitter in the end is that the track kind of winds down, the piano warps even more to the point where it's kind of just this droning tone. And then that droning tone even dissipates until we get 40 seconds of what sounds like radio static until the album ends. And it's intentional, like it takes up a chunk of time. And I always think that's really interesting. You know, we talked about how a lot of the album felt dreamy, and you know, statics or strange consistent noises often allude to dream states or waking up from a dream or being trapped in a dream. So I just think it's a really interesting way to conclude the record. Well, on static that could be anything. Right. I mean, static I would... could be death. Right. I know I made my death joke in the last album, which was an instrumental where you, where obviously it was about things and places on an island, but yeah. in this case, it could very well be that and the great challenge that is life. I don't know. Or it could just I be... I like that it leaves us with It questions. could just be the moment that you're sitting and thinking and pondering on the very specific instance that we we haven't named explicitly because we don't know. Could be the romance, could be something separate. 
Really, I just see it as the final period on tragedy because nothing comes afterwards. Nothing gets built upon that that final. It's not a death knell, but it definitely harkens back to one. Just white noise and static, and no resolution, and a lot of just just fuzziness. And it's a great way to end the record, to end the album, and to end the story that's going on right here. And without further ado, I'll use that as my launching point into the wrap-up. I I love a lot of parts of this album, and I can pick them out of certain tracks. We, We talked about some awesome drums surrounded by a lot of mediocrity. We talked about a couple of awesome tracks that were surrounded by things that we were extremely familiar with. And per my previous perception of Taking Back Sunday... And all of the music that Matt made me listen to, among other individuals, because while I wasn't a huge fan, I did listen to a lot of it. It kind of confirmed my perception of what they are, which is that they can do really cool and interesting things within their framework. And their framework is actually a lot broader than people may give them credit for if they're not familiar with it. Certain tracks, like We Don't Go In There, it's solid all the way through, through and through. You get everything you want with a sad track right there. Low end, high end, and everything in between. Great lyrical work, great vocal work. And while I don't see the distinct vocal work, I guess Matt Matt really loves about this uh, band, I do see parts of their vocal work showing up as like really emotional touchstones that, that do give a lot of identity to Taking Back Sunday that do give a lot of character, but it's pretty much located in their slower tracks, in their, in their you know, simmering tracks or where they're mm-hmm. going to be less towards the punk and less towards the rock, where they really seem to be darkening back to emo that we don't really bring up too much when talking about them, but it was a stickler in the very beginning. It, they, they have some roots in emo. And when they're touching upon those roots, you can really feel them pushing through. But the parts that aren't standout-ish really do feel, generic's the wrong word, but they do feel like they're not pushing boundaries. Where they're being punk, they're being punk. Where they're being alt-rock, or they're being folk, or they're being this, that, or the other thing. When they're representing a genre, they really do rep it. There are parts that feel like they could be drawn from anything from 95 to present day that you really couldn't tell what year they're coming from. And that makes them f- makes the, the, the good parts stand out, but the less good parts really get washed away. So I'm in a nebulous place. I'm in a place where I'm going, great story, great arc. The theme was solid throughout. But the in-between chapters, the parts that are in between the high and low points could be filled with a lot of different things, at least as far as the story is concerned. 375. It's not four-star by any stretch, though there are some mid-tier four-star tracks. Just There's so much of it that is just identifiably a genre, not identifiably taking back Sunday, that I can't push it any higher. Hmm. Well, as far as deciphering what this album is about, I have no doubt it probably was a very specific thing that inspired him to write an album about about growth, 
I think in general, putting things behind you, but the ex the exploration and everything that it took in order to get there. It's a very mature album. Yeah, that's self that's apparent just from uh, the way in which it's structured, and I'm I'm very impressed by that. Um, and of course, although we were sort of evading what that specific thing is, you know, we are not 100%. I think I do believe it was an intention to keep it just a little bit vague yeah. so that even if there was something specific, he wrote it in a vague enough way that it reaches out to all of us. And we're not all just sitting there like, oh, this is a guy who's in his own head. It's not about that. He's he, This is a almost a morality play in many ways. You can take these lyrics to heart. You can take them as advice and sort of say, hey, I've been down that route. Even the tracks that I'm not, like, super big on, I think they still do that from a lyrical standpoint. Back to John's point about the poetry. Yeah, I don't think it's always very, like, high poetry. I think it achieves its goal simply by being relatable and by finding those beautiful lines, like, you know, the devil's in the details and we don't go there. I think that these are the things that, although that probably is the most poetic line of the bunch, but even more than that, these this is more just, hey, I relate. And I, that's that's fine. I think that works. There, he doesn't really lose that in any stretch. There's not any lyrics here that I think are just, just hanging and useless. So that's about what I'll say on lyrics, which means I have to go toward music. I know I say the micro scale, where people are focusing on the moment a lot. And I know I say macro scale, where people are focusing on the overall product. This is a interesting case, because I think he's really good at both. I think he's really good at fine-tuning moments and making sure that they hit home really, really well, such as that, that burst in the 32-second mark in, in uh, track 10, we don't go in there, and also uh, several times earlier when we got that whole dreamlike sequence. You know, there are moments throughout this where I'm like, that's really cool, that's really cool. So I don't think I'm wanting for moments, and at the same time, I think the album as a whole was structured really well. I don't really have too many more critiques of of the overall album structure like i can deal with the the track two i know i made a big stink of it in the beginning track two being just kind of a generic punk track to me to my ears but i can deal with that being in track two and really nowhere else that's concerted same goes with the interestingly symmetrical track 11 the penultimate track i can deal with it just being kind of a harmless folk track because that seems very intentional and it's framed around some really progressive tracks, some tracks that push the boundaries and are interesting on their broad scale as well. Within the track itself, they have very interesting intros, they have very interesting outros, and usually their bridges are phenomenal, or there's at least something that I can uh, grab a hold of in a verse or a chorus. One wonders at this point, well, what more am I really asking for? Uh, as far as, actually, on, on the arc... Note, I think the only critique I have is they really needed a stronger intro to the album for me. Track 1 would not have inspired me to go further. You have to get further to know that this is going to be a lot more interesting. I think track 1, they should have taken some cues from their later portions in the album. But my point that I'm coming back to is that, alright, great in the micro scale, great in the macro scale. I may never have mentioned the middle before, because the middle, I guess, is everything else. Maybe that's just the overall tone. I realize this is different for everyone, but it's just kind of the way this makes me feel as a whole in the end. I feel very satisfied in how the story began and how it ended and the different roller coaster, the, the, the peaks and valleys that it took me on. And I feel very affected by some moment-by-moment -moment things. But I don't think I feel affected at the end of the day by the music. And I know that's really strange. But in terms of the kind of... You know, I would listen to that track endlessly in terms of that kind of criteria, then it, it's tough. It really is tough on this album. I feel like I'm just kind of like pointing out 
isolated things that I feel a little bit removed from it. And I don't want to be so removed from it because I actually really agree with the message of this. Uh, it, does that come down to genre in the end? And maybe just that I would like a little bit beyond the kind of bare-bones rock structure here? I think it, it does really make me proud looking back on those days of like 2000s alternative indie because I feel in many ways this is kind of taking it to another level. Uh, the kind of thing that I used to say about, oh, as tall as Lions was the last great indie band. You know, of course they still are around, but I really haven't been as impressed with anything that it has done since, let's say, as tall as Lions, uh, You Can't Take It With You, which was their last full-length album. They were bringing it to new places, and I think this could bring it to new places. I just don't have the overall emotional zone. I can just say, the vocals may do it for me here, or the rhythm may do it for me here. And I feel like it's just a little bit all over the place. I wanted some kind of binding notion, and that I just don't have. So I'm going to take me out of myself here and actually just throw it into the fours and give it a solid four. Because I, I know that there's too much else that is objectively here for me to simply dismiss entirely based on my own experience with this band's style. I think it is really on the right track. So for me, this is just, it, it crossed the four line. It's a, it's a really good album, even if I can't wax eloquence as much as I want to. The first album, Tell All Your Friends, came out in 2002. Their second album, Where You Want to Be, came out in 2004. Louder Now, which is my favorite album by, by this band, came out in 2006. And it's when their sound first started to evolve into what it's kind of become today. Though there are hints of it in the first two records. Fourth, al fourth album, New Again, came out in 2009. They're self-titled, 2011. And then Happiness Is came out in 2014. And it's the only album I've not heard any track from. Um, it's the only album I've skipped. Which is a bummer, and I will go back to. Now, their newest album, the one we're reviewing, Tidal Wave, 2016. For a band that I honestly forgot about for the last couple of years, has been consistently put, been putting out records since 2002, either every two or three years. And I think it's normal for people to go through cycles with bands, sometimes forget they even are a fandom, fan of that band for a while, if you aren't listening to them regularly. But listening to this album was a return to form for what I got into in the early 2000s, as far as music goes. Um, the girl I was dating at the time also was, had a big effect on that in the mid-2000s with me. Um, but taking back Sunday, and especially Adam, his singing style and the lyrics he writes, impact me pretty close to my heart. And at this point, now that I've run down the chronology of their albums, they've been making music more like Louder Now than like the first two records for a longer period of time. So to the people who are going to rate this album and say, if you're a fan of Taking Back Sunday, oh, it's not like the old album, you can stuff it. Because at this point, they've been making more music that sounds like this than they haven't. And so you're just not a fan of the band anymore. Um, that said, I'm really into this record. And I think those places where Steve is kind of finding himself at a loss comes from not having the knowledge of the discography. Now, of course, we rate based on an individual album and its merit, which is fine. But I think if Steve were a fan of the band and had those gaps to fill in, it would change how I felt about the record. Same for John, but maybe not to the same extent, since John had more issues with the record. I'll interrupt to only say that that would simply prove that they're consistent. Right. And that, that makes for a you know recurring listen, I think. But right. I don't know if it, it, really it affects may, my other stuff. It might not have. 
Um, but for me, for sure, this is coming from a pers- a place of personal, um, you know, being touched personally by it. You know, when we talked about Blue October, as I mentioned earlier, I rated it much higher than you guys because I emotionally connected to the record on a level that I honestly didn't expect to because I hadn't listened to them in a while. I'm finding a similar case with this record. That said, though, this, I think, has more consistent things going on with it that tie it together that I think, again, can only puzzle together because I have a more of a wealth of knowledge of at least what this band does. Um, but there's never a moment where I am unhappy with this record. I will wholeheartedly agree that they are not breaking boundaries in the grand scope of music. This is not a five. But I think as far as what they've done and been doing in all the years I've been listening to them, unless... You know, the the one album that came out in 2014 that I just mentioned that I didn't hear was completely wackadoo and off the rails. You know, I think that I kind of understand how this band works and it feeds my love for them. You know, We Don't Go In There is a track that we wouldn't get from any other band or anywhere else. This is distinctly, this song is everything I want from Taking Back Sunday. The rest of the stuff is also, but that one really showcases what they know how to do and how well they do it. I've also not heard an album with a stronger arc in a long time. They know how to structure a record. They know how to rev you up, bring you down, build you up and break you down. And that's not something that a lot of the bands that we've listened to in recent years are precise at doing a lot of the arcs at least in my experience seem to be almost happenstance at best sometimes like they work together but it could have worked together in other ways too whereas here i couldn't move a song anywhere i don't really think i could have put one song somewhere else especially when steve brought it up brought up the bracketing which i didn't even really see initially but is really quite apparent i will say that you have said that as recently as tim hecker i had two weeks ago but it's not but I think it's, it's, it's done here in a different way because here we're really relying on the lyrics and the genre for the bracketing. Whereas in other albums, especially the instrumental ones, it was specifically tones or emotions in that moment in your interpretation that made that happen. Also, it was kind of just refreshing to do an album with lyrics because I missed them. <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, this album sits at a 4.3 for me. And there's a reason for that. And it boils down to a lot of things. It's over a four for the same reason Steve said. We're very in line in that. This is a band that's not only kind of approaching breaking the mold for what they do on their own, but also approaching breaking the mold for what I think alt-rock can do in whatever state it's in now. You know, I didn't really believe that there were truly any alt-rock bands anymore because it's hard to pin down what that even means. But I truly believe that that Taking Back Sunday fits into that. And also, they've never done a song that felt like Irish rock. I've never heard them do a song that felt like folk. I've heard them do like kind of pop guitar-y folk songs, but nothing like what was on here. You know, and for sure, straight punk is not a thing that I've really heard them do because their earlier stuff leaned more towards indie emo than punk or screamo even. And so I think that there's an evolution here to this band that I'm on board for because I liked them as they changed. Whereas a lot of people didn't. And so, you know, I'm making generalities here a bit. And if you're one of our regular listeners who is a fan of Taking Back Sunday, tell me how you feel about their discography. Because I've been interested to know because I've heard opinions all over the place. 
but it sits at a 4.3 for me because I emotionally got sucked in. I loved the arc. I thought the lyrics were strong, though not perfect. And I really liked the instrumentation, though at moments it did seem to loop on itself. Well, I can say that it's not so much that they're really breaking the mold. It's just the reason why I brought up, you know, as tall as lines is because I guess it was hard for me to believe, and I'm most guilty of this, that I, I tend these days to think that a band that kind of just stays within the rock community and really borrows very little from outside sources, I it's hard for me to think of them as really, truly excelling right. these days because most of those cases just seem to be, you know, people always pulling, you know, from all these different sorts. Like, that's what they feel they have to do, you right. know. And, and, you know, it almost brings us back to, like, an early, early argument uh, that I made on the series, in fact, when I brought up uh, the Young Veins and everything. Because we had this discussion with, like, Eve Six. And yeah. he's like, can you mm -hmm. do really, can you do well with that structure, even if it's, you know, if times have changed a little bit, like, and you know, with Taking Back Sunday, we're talking about just a matter of several years here. It's not yeah. a dated album by any stretch. But I went back to the Young Veins, trying to say, well, all right, here they are dealing with something that really we thought was just it had capped out. We'd moved yeah. away from surf rock. Can you really make something fresh and excel at something that is really, really confined in a way? And I guess I had, I had felt, felt. Maybe after five years, even though that was my original point, after five years, I've really started to feel, four to five years, I've started to feel like that is less possible. And I didn't expect that from these guys, but they, right. they did a lot more with the framework here, a framework that I'm very familiar with and put more thought into areas of it that I didn't expect uh, than I ever thought possible. And I think that that speaks to the strength of the talent within the band, at least, if nothing else. All right. Topic time. Um... We have a little bit of an interesting proposal, uh, something that we may actually be tackling over several weeks. Uh, kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, but you ever notice how when we're talking about albums, we really do have a tendency, whether they're whether they have lyrics or not, even if they're instrumentals, we tend to bring them back to a kind of arc that we sort of already have in our head. And I guess we have certain album arcs in our head for a reason. It goes back to our... Our literature background, it goes back to just the basic plots. In fact, they're called the seven basic plots of plot writing, um, of which th this, these have been kind of conglomerated over time, but they can be traced, certain types can be traced back to uh, ancient mythology, really, really super old stories, uh, Greek myths, that sort. Let's just list them off first, and let's see if in future episodes we can actually go through these one by one and relate them to music, because I think it's a subconscious thing that we still think about. And then if we have a discussion on whether there are, are indeed new plots, more modernist 20th, 20th century, 21st century plots, which you think do not relate back to the seven basic plots of, of mythology and lore and all that, then, well, we'll talk about that too. Also, we'd love to hear feedback. But the seven basic plots, as uh, can be found anywhere on the internet, are overcoming the monster, rags to riches, the Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, Rebirth. These are the most basic ideas. Um, these plots, if, if you really want to talk about them, something like Rebirth would be Beauty and the Beast. It's, it's, a, it's a prime example, both the original story and the Disney animated film, which is still one of my favorites. Right. Uh, the idea of you are forced by either internal or external events and forces to become better than what you already were. Uh, Not to be confused with something like the quest, which is you're going from point A to point B, and you're going to be going and defeating 
internal and external pressures, but the growth doesn't necessarily happen to the main character. Like there are little subdivisions for all these different ideas that really become glaring plot points to, to, to get a punny about it and, over the course of these stories. And to just take a stab at the relating to music aspect of it that I can go into detail later, but I would compare Rebirth, this idea of Rebirth, to an album that the three of us are intimately familiar with, and that's Shape for the Dark Lord's Sick Passenger. <laughs> because it is absolutely a story of Rebirth from starting with not thinking you have a problem, moving through the motions, learning that you had the problem, and then getting the help you need to become a new you, a better you, this improved version. Actually, that's a, that's a prime example because the character... Schaefer, the characterization he creates in that album, undergoes a lot of transformation, mm-hmm. whether it's through the music itself and the dialogue that he creates. Well, for the literal that. narrative that's in the record. Yes. And because that's, it's a that's, concept that's album. That's point, yeah. too. And um, if you needed, I mean, literature examples of the case, you could it's, it's probably go through every single Disney movie and find things that leap out almost, you know, yeah, blatantly to you. Aladdin is rags to riches. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, yeah, let's course, see if we can do it for Disney movies to, for all of them. Uh, oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> the quest um, would be Hercules. That's right. Well, well that's almost cheap because that actually just goes back to <laughs> the right, Greek mythology. True, yeah. and you yeah. went to Disney. Yeah, that's true. But I went Disney, to Disney created version. Hercules, yeah, of as you well know. Uh, yeah, there's a couple. It might be considered overcoming the monster. I mean, it has elements oh, of that. Oh, that's true, yeah. Where the oh, well, think antagonist about, um, specifically threatens a group of individuals and the protagonist. What about Beowulf? Beowulf, Beowulf is, is overcoming not, the monster. Yeah. Is that a Disney movie? No, I'm just in the book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you got me confused right there. All right, let's let's actually bring it to today's album. And what would today's album be considered? And I think a little bit in my summation of you have to the, the going out into the world and then coming back a bit of a failure, that speaks voyage and return to me, uh, which would be summarized as the protagonist going out overcoming threats but returning home with experience in greek terms that would be the odyssey i suppose yes but it does not require success and that's what a lot of these other ones almost hint at or require like the quest or overcoming the monster even if there's failure it still requires some success along the way the voyage and return the return specifically can be a big defeat when you think of um some of them like uh, Gone with the Wind would be a good example. And Gone with the Wind isn't really the happiest of endings, to Ooh, be honest. I got one. Um, Empire Strikes Back is the voyage and the return. They I come was, back with I a loss. I was actually just thinking about that. But in ways, isn't it also overcoming the monster? No, that would be A New Hope. That, that would, would be, be a new specifically hope. A New Hope. Oh, I was thinking of Star Wars in general. No, well, uh, if you're talking Empire Star Wars Empire Strikes now, Back, there's a... It ends on a dark note. Han's carbonated. You know, Luke is defeated. But they go back home so Voy- he can get healed. Voyage and Return applies specifically to Luke during... It. But it, yeah. he does not overcome the monster. It's not defeating the monster. That's return. Well, then that would be return, yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, okay. But though technically, anyway, then doesn't Darth Vader track, overcome the monster? Because he throws him off the cliff. Back on music. Oh, Lord. Back on music. <laughs> this is going to crack back in half. It. I, would, I would say that this, this album actually does a prime example of the idea of the voyage and return, of, the, of that plot, to, almost to a T. Especially the way track 2 and 11 kind of bookended with a, a almost fakeness to it, and the way 12 has 
a lot of endings associated with it. Even and then though none just, of them were actually particularly happy. Yes, mm. and then track three through ten, a lot of different levels of turmoil, and interspersed with hope and sort of conclusions to each of these ideas. But at the end of the day, you don't get a solid conclusion until the very end, where it feels like we're almost hearkening back, as Matt said, is in a sort of an overture and a lot of like previous ideas, especially in the beginning part of the album, showing up again. I think, though, with music, and we'll get into this more as we go, but I think an overgeneralized kind of idea of this is that music without lyrics or even or even with lyrics, might be more difficult to fit into these boxes, depending. Like, the shape, for example, I brought up, mostly because any opportunity to bring up Sick Passenger, and I will, but also, that one strictly had a narrative through the sessions between each song, so that clearly fit that that mold because, you know, of Rebirth, because of the straight narrative in the concept album, whereas an album, another one of Schaefer's albums, like Manslaughter, may not have a direct correlation to one of these because it's a looser narrative. Well, I had a uh, professor once back in you know, studying music here. As you move up through you know music composition, you get into classes that are less just about you know simply learning about the mechanics of, of music and actually really getting to the composition uh, and the, the formative years where you're actually trying to really hone the art down of building a piece. And I remember there was like a few, uh, a few questions around the class being like, oh, what else are you studying? What else are you studying? What are your minors? You know, or do you have any double majors? Just to kind of get that out. And I remember I mentioned that I was a double English major, right? And my professor was it almost seemed like he had a kind of a look of shock and also like a pre like, ah, you have a leg up on the class. Which I didn't think about at all. I was very, like, really? What? Do I? I thought they were the most, you know, uh, distant, like, placemat majors that you could possibly come up with. Um, Now, I don't know if this directly has had an effect on any, you know, music that I've written. uh, But certainly, I guess it helps. And you you consider these things at the end of the day. When you're writing music, you do consider, like, you want people to... You want to take them on a journey. And if you're going to take them on a journey, then there are certain journeys that we just subconsciously have had uh, ingrained in our system ever since we were little kids, probably starting these days with Disney. Yeah. And if they go back to the original Greek myth, then yeah, you're probably (coughs) thinking about these seven things. If you want to push it a little bit further and get, you know, all postmodernist about it, you absolutely can. But even then, very often, it's pretty easy sometimes to, like, pick back through all of the muck and all of the, the, the modern trauma that has been, you know, sort of the complications of your music, you could probably find one of the core seven at the end. Uh, Or maybe you can't. I don't know. I just know that it it definitely matters in terms of uh, composition. And it's definitely mattered for some of the leading composers, especially when they have to make the shift toward writing for opera. Then their music needs to reflect that. And if we're going to talk about stuff that that doesn't have lyrics and relating it to something, I would make the argument that... uh, Arca Mutant was Rebirth. The uh, the storyline I kind of threw onto that album, yeah, I, I still see it as as a very, very oriented towards that sort of storytelling. You can really infer a lot of different ideas, especially if you're crazy like me and like to go off on tangents and visualize stories around music. It's It, it can be done, and it's almost, I guess... 
I guess the worst music we listen to tends to not follow these forms. It could be. I mean, but that's yeah. not even... Nah, see, that's where I disagree, yeah. and that's where I think uh, this series, if we follow through on it, it may be sporadic. It may not be like the next seven weeks. We're probably going to space it out as we see fit. But that's where I completely disagree. I think, in fact, there it, we're, it's going to be a discussion of really when it works and when it doesn't and when sometimes it's a better idea to disregard the core seven as as much as down to your instinct of what you feel is a proper story it may be deciphered in the end that that's exactly what it is right but i do think that a lot of times uh we find very our most innovative cases are stories we haven't heard yet because remember these are the seven stories that we've heard time and time and time and time again there, the other problem, I mean, this, we've talked about this like this is the rule. It's a rule if we think about it. Remember, someone at the end of the day sort of amalgamated the stories that they thought exist and then kind of constrained them to fit the seven. So I think an interesting experiment would be to find when is the rule broken or are there simply more than seven? Right, and I think it's also an interesting thought experiment to see what we can apply to these or can't. I think ultimately the reason we want to bring this up is because over the the following weeks, whenever we decide to jump back into this and take on each of the seven, I think the idea is to see, well, A, instantly and initially, can we apply albums to this rule, which is the easy part, because yes, the answer is yes, we can, in probably almost every case. The harder question might be, are there albums that we can't apply to any of the rules, which we really can't approach until we've gone through all the rules. One might instinctually think that, you know, when you're looking at music, it would be easier to break the rules because, right. of course, if you're doing an instrumental, then poof, it's going to come down all the way to your gut in the end. But then is the place where it loses connectivity with the audience, is that deep in the background? But also, is that a product of the fact that you abandoned the rules? Right, but also it could be that the composer or creator did follow those rules, but it just lost, got lost in translation. Lost in translation, you can't, you can't know for sure. Right, and so, so I should interview every single composer that we've looked at. I am right, exactly. But I think it's an interesting thing to kind of take a stab at, and I think we can't promise that this uh, experiment will be success, but it'll be an experiment, so at least it'll be fun. I mean, some of them like like comedy. I think I, I think I we'll know. be able to do if we yeah. choose a comedy. At the same time, there are like cheeky comedies that we can fool around with. Like uh, when you look at like Shakespearean comedies, they're not really just haha. That that's really funny. Comedy almost refers to just being lighthearted and happy-go-lucky, not necessarily just a funny or a trope or something weird Al did Could or be something a farce. like that. A farce know. is another good one. Like. It's not. It's more than just humor. It's it's being. It's absurdity. Just ha- the concept just happy, of, of absurdity, really. really yeah. Also, at the end of the day, that's probably what what makes us laugh when we merely, notice something that doesn't jive. Merely, there's just no conflict at the end of the day, in in many ways. Well, real quick, John, since I know that you're a big reader, and I have noticed that lots of Kurt Vonnegut fans love to uh, take this stance. That would you throw them? Would you throw Kurt Vonnegut books in the Big Seven? Uh, for Slaughterhouse Five, yes. In there. Slaughterhouse Five is a voyage and return. Um, I see it a little. But I see it a lot, mostly because the main character does gain wisdom over time. While something right. like God Bless You, Mister Roadswater is actually a comedy masquerading as a tragedy. 
uh, because nothing is learned, nothing is gained, and it's merely a series of random things that happens to Mr. Rosewater over the course of events, and it's kind of just happenstance, but it kind of has a very depressing ending at the end. So that might be another... It might be a tragedy. That might be another thesis that we have to keep on the back burner is, is the natural progression of human art just inevitably going to be toward art that obscures and complicates the ideas that are already present in those well, core seven. One of the, the, the biggest things with Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite books, is that it is a quest, which is... That was pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, but it does something that no other big story had done previously, which was it wasn't a quest to attain power. It was a quest, quest to, to destroy, destroy power. power, yeah. And mm. that, in and of itself, was a extremely novel idea, an extremely unusual idea to have in that story. Right. And I think that's where we're going to find, as we explore this more, the real intricacies is, yes, maybe it fits into these seven, but what does it do to go beyond the one of the seven it fits into? Which is or why, say something that hasn't been said about those seven. Which is why today's album, as a voyage and return, is lending a lie to the concept itself. Because the protagonist is supposed to come back with experience, with wisdom, with a gaining of some sort. Yet the end of this story seems like it is going to end up in a tragedy. It's going to end up with that, that that death knell note. So maybe nothing truly was gained. So or it's throwing the well, idea that's on That's not itself. true, though. You can go somewhere and come back and gain a ton of knowledge that makes things worse. Not all knowledge. Well, no, that's but the core concept of a voyage and return is that something positive should have come out of it. Oh. There shouldn't right. be failure. Failure is almost exclusively reserved for the, the tragedy. tragedy. Interesting. Well, I do know this. Where concerns music, I have very often on this podcast been a fan of things that kind of avoid the traditional arc, but give us an arc that we never knew uh, could exist. Right. But I'd like to figure out on my own terms whether that is actually moving away from something that is familiar, or is it simply moving away and toward something that is familiar like is it just going around in one big circle like am i pushing it away from something that seems too familiar towards something else that even if i would see it as perfect would just still be familiar again you know and it's the middle ground where things get muddy i don't know all right well um <laughs> i think that's a good place to need to stop for today uh, but we'll get into more on that in the coming weeks um before we get to what we're doing next week steve do you have a spam for us this is interesting I used to be afraid to get outside, did not hang out with friends, and usually handed every Facebook event request by. I think he means usually passed by every Facebook request. Anyway, he continues, I enjoy my punching bag stand and wouldn't trade it for anything since it allows me to acquire all my emotions and acquire all my emotions out, whatever that means, and get yourself a good workout at the same time frame. Uh, he continues, but those days are over since I got a punching bag stand. It's kind of looping itself. Uh, it's Very really cyclical. easy and fun to work through today. It actually encouraged me to use the gym and to swim. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that, that la those last two sentences actually belonged after the first sentence. That it used to be, I used to be afraid to get outside, did not hang out with friends, and usually passed by every Facebook request. But those days are over. Since I got a punching bag stand. You see how I skipped over the yeah. middle bit? Rule of thirds. He screwed up his second third. That was his problem. That yeah. was the problem of the author punching bags. Well, at least his name is consistent. But his email is whatever at hotmail.com. 
That is an awesome email. I kind of want to email that. He's like the first one. I mean, how early on in Hotmail's existence must someone have thought of that, right? Right. John? No comment. I'm done. (laughs) Okay. So why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? We, okay. We're going to be doing a gentleman who is a musician, singer, songwriter, poet, novelist, painter. Oh, God. He's all over the place. He's 82 years old. And when I ran across his name, I was pleasantly surprised that we are going to be able to review Leonard Cohen's 14th studio release, You Want It Darker. You Want It Darker. That's the name of the album? You Want It Darker. That's ominous. Well, it's funny because we all had the same reaction. Our first reaction was... Leonard Cohen's still alive? Yes. I know that's hard. Which is terrible. Yes. But. He's 82. Not just alive. He's still making music. music. 82 years old. Well, he's been doing this since the early 60s. But he's he does it himself. It's his work. Right. And like he's also been a guy who has pushed the boundaries in politics, in sexuality, in orientation, in music, in a lot of different areas. Like He's been he's a guy this. who's... An activist who's towed the line between pure artist and pure activist yeah. and meshed the two together so interestingly. Uh, well, if anyone does not familiar with Lenin Cohen, I'm sure you probably know his version of Hallelujah, which has been pretty wildly it's been popularized. Everywhere I'm pretty sure it is, it is his originally. It was uh, famously yes, covered by Jeff Buckley and, uh, and by so many others. But it was Leonard Cohen's to start off with, which means he's probably written a good chunk of things that you've probably heard somewhere and never knew was him, if you don't know him. Right. Which you should, because it's him. (laughs) So that's what we'll be doing next week. But until then, you can wait with braided breath while you remember, music is life. And and life life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.